Political science. Robots. Please report to the dance floor. Coming to you from the last video store in the universe, it's Binge Movies 151! I'm Jason. This is a show that ranks, eliminates movies, determine which ones are most worthy of preservation for all time, even beyond the end times. In this episode, we rank Forgotten Films of the 1980s, Part 5, A New Beginning. been a fan favorite series for a long time which is why i discontinued it over two years ago because just <laughs> when you think you know the answers i change the questions and it's like it's like the disney vault no copyright infringement intended Lindsay. no <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah you know when people love something you got to take it away from them yeah like democracy they take it for granted. Yeah. You're taking democracy <laughs> for granted. We're going to take it away from you for a while. And you might get it back. Probably not. Eh, we'll eh. see. <laughs> 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 you know, one thing I've learned, Lindsay. Mm-hmm. One thing I've learned is that what unites us. We've got listeners all over the world. The one thing that unites us as a people Every country, every race, every religion, every nationality, there is one thing that unites us. Do you, you want to know what that one thing is? Hmm. That one thing is that anywhere on earth, people will fuck up a fast food restaurant if they get angry. That's very true. That is very true. People will absolutely, it doesn't matter if it's Wingstop, Kentucky Fried Chicken, McDonald's, Wendy's. Uh, so, you know, Jolly Bee, some something we don't even have, something we never even heard yeah. of. You know, El Pollo Loco, po, uh, Pollo mm, del Rey, Del Taco, Del Taco, Red Burrito. Doesn't matter. People will fuck a fast food restaurant up. They will <laughs> grab the cash register and chuck it behind the whatever. They'll grab a whole big ass planter full of real dirt and a fake plant, and they'll chuck and it at a very lowly paid person behind the counter. Yes, who's just trying to do their job. <laughs> yeah, there's two places that make us that bring us all down to the same level that prove that equality is a real thing. Fast food places because everybody goes berserk and uh airplanes. That's very true. You're stuck in just a, a steel tube and there's nowhere to go. There's nowhere, there's to, there's go. nowhere to go. You're flying no. in the air, the tube's full of demons, the demons are starting to talk to you. You hear voices in your head. They talk to There's you. There's something on the wing. Oh, my God. <laughs> There's something on the wing. The guy sitting next to you. He's got his whole asshole wide open. Farts are just coming mm -hmm. out. You're smelling it. Yeah. Somebody farts in a plane. You're smelling it for the duration of the plane. Yeah. Yeah. It's in there. It's going on the trip with you. Oh, yeah. And it gets <laughs> diluted. There's nothing worse than a diluted fart. Because if it's a, just a big old fart. You, you smell it. It hits you, then it goes away. It goes away. Well, when it gets into that recycled air, and it's and mm -hmm. it's like kind of fresh air, but it's also fart air. Yeah, you're like, oh, it's just constant recycled farts over and over. Constant and over again. diluted fart <laughs> air. 
Where am I going with all of this? One, I don't know how we got on this. <laughs> everybody is equal in the world because we will all fuck up a Kentucky Fried Chicken if yes. they don't give us the biscuits that we ordered. Right. You don't got the sandwich, Popeyes? I'm going to fuck this place up. That brings <laughs> us all together. That's number one. Number two, everybody goes berserk on planes because you're trapped mm. with somebody else's farts. Yes. Number three, the thing that brings <laughs> us all together, VHS Summer. Yes. And what better way to celebrate VHS Summer? VHS Summer 3. It is really a tradition unlike any other. Mm-hmm. What better way to celebrate than the triumphant return of forgotten films of the 1980s, which is now part five, A New Beginning. A New Beginning, that's because part four was called The Final Chapter, and they didn't think that part five would sound real good if they called it the first epilogue, I guess. Ooh. Now, it was part four before The Final Chapter two mm-hmm. years ago, but just like Paramount, the We're rating started to dip. This <laughs> 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 started to go down. So I brought this up, I brought it back. <laughs> it's just more leftover recycled garbage from the last four times around. Formula is always the same. Jason is out there in the wind and the rain and there are dead bodies all over the house and everybody is screaming and their clothes are ripped off their backs and there's blood all over. Jason is out there, there are dead bodies everywhere. Let's go skinny dipping. <laughs> and and, I, and here's the thing, at the end of this episode, it's going to be revealed, I'm not actually Jason. I'm an EMT dressed oh. as Jason. I'm actually uh, Roy. It's tricky. Roy Disney. Yes. <laughs> I would equate some of the movies on this list to a fart trapped on a plane. That's where I'm really yeah, going. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I would agree with that. Yeah. I would agree with that. I mean, I I found things that I liked in every single one. I'll say that. Uh, I found thing, things I liked. <laughs> things. Like a diluted fart. It's kind of fresh yes. air. It's kind every of fresh air. Every once in a while. <laughs> Every once in a while, you can you can get in a big gulp of fresh air to prepare yeah. yourself for but the that next aftertaste wave is still ass. Fart. It's still there. Yeah, the aftertaste <laughs> is still ass. You're still eating ass. Yes. Now, if you eat ass, I don't have a problem with you, but to be involuntarily eating somebody's ass, yeah, pl- that's consent bad. is very yeah. important. If I choose to eat your ass, that's that's, that's that's on me. Yes. Right. If the conditions aren't right. <laughs> that's on me because i i decided you know i didn't give you yes. forewarning no you just i <laughs> <laughs> just dove in nose just first dove right in but yes. if i'm on a plane and i'm just i'm just uh-huh. watching uh uh blue thunder on a plane which mm-hmm. i got a story for that um <laughs> and i'm just watching blue thunder on a plane and you're ripping ass beside me i didn't choose to eat that no no i don't want that mm-hmm. in my mouth you're being held hostage by someone else's asshole. Yeah. And some of these movies, I felt as if I was being held hostage by the assholes who wrote these movies. I was like, Jesus Christ. It, some of these movies reek of ass. And I want to know. They, they do. Do we agree on what sucks? I'm just going to get to my Blue Thunder story right now. Uh, okay. Because there's going to be so much to talk about when we dive into the actual movie. Oh, yes. I've never seen it uh, up until this point. I was aware of it. I knew what it was, obviously. Mm-hmm. So I fire it up. I'm on, I'm on a plane. And maybe you don't want to watch a helicopter disaster conspiracy movie yeah, on a plane. Yeah, any kind of flight <laughs> drama is probably not a good idea. But I did. Probably not a good idea. Yeah. Not knowing that within the first 20 minutes of this movie, a woman was going to be bare-ass <laughs> naked, go ass over tea kettle, 
Yes. In a mainstream Hollywood film where you, yes. it's not full frontal, it's full taint. Yeah, she is bending in ways I didn't know you could bend and doing it very well. Gingerly. Like it's very, yeah, yeah, it's, it's, she's making sure hands are in right places yes. to cover certain things. Other things are out but there lately. Other things are out there, you know, <laughs> but, oh. It, it's not an exaggeration to say that it appears as if she's going to try to eat her own ass. And she might have been yeah. able to do it. She probably could have. I would have <laughs> I, put money on it. So, I'd put money on it. <laughs> imagine me watching this on a screen in my lap. And all of a sudden, mm -hmm. there's a very nude woman with her whole, all of her nether regions. Her Somehow her mm -hmm. nipples are covered. <laughs> Yeah. But yeah. her entire pelvis is just up for God and everybody to see. Yeah. And I'm sitting uh -huh. next to, in first class, mind you, I'm sitting <laughs> next to, first class, no class, sitting next to some guy's wife. And, oh, the, and I got his seat because I got it before he did. So his wife's in first <laughs> class with me. He's the row behind in the, in the cheap seats. <laughs> And this woman, I she like looked over in my screen, and I just had to hit ten seconds, ten seconds, ten seconds, ten seconds. Yeah, so fast forward, fast forward, because uh, they linger. It they lingers linger on this woman's <laughs> asshole. In different angles, like she she gets in a couple positions that are just asshole up. Just I've never seen. I mean, I can't. Say, I'm not gonna say I've never seen. Anything you like know, it. I can't say I've never seen anything like it. I've never seen anything like it in a mainstream movie. <laughs> and I've never watched anything like that in public on a plane. I, I had seen the movie before way back in the day on TV. So that scene obviously was not in it. Yes. On right. TNT, they weren't showing taint on TNT. <laughs> well, so, you can't spell taint without TNT. You cannot. You cannot. <laughs> but TBS, they don't stand for that shit. No, 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 no. no. <laughs> The Superstation, never. 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 Andy Griffith no, was on that. No taints across the board. Andy Griffith never put his ass in the air on TBS. Never. Not never. one time. Matlock, <laughs> Matlock never ate ass in his life. No. 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 Matlock wasn't an ass eater. I think Matlock, I, if I had to guess, I think Matlock is in the Batman category. You understand what I'm saying? <laughs> <laughs> I understand fully what you're saying. Yeah. Yes, understand? I do. Okay. Mm -hmm. Well, speaking of uh, uncomfortable sex, let's move on to our first film, <laughs> 1981's Excalibur. I I didn't realize there's going to be so much sex. <laughs> there's a lot of sex in all, well, not all of these movies, but a majority of these films. Everyone there's, but there's one really, of them. I, yeah. yeah I, weird, uncomfortable sex. When I recruited you, Lindsay, I wasn't, I wasn't like, hey. You want to watch some sleaze with me? You want to watch some <laughs> dirty, dirty sex movies for my podcast? Oh, God. <laughs> Metaphorically speaking, we're just two podcasters with our ass in the air. Yes. Wanting everybody to see. Just hoping there's choppers outside. Yeah. Well, yeah, that's <laughs> content creation. Yes. Yeah. She's a content creator. Yes. Always looking for the right angle. <laughs> <laughs> All right. It's time for Excalibur. It's currently has a 72% on Rotten Tomatoes. It's pure Las Vegas magic. Excalibur Hotel Casino, Las Vegas. All rooms $39, Sunday through Thursday. 
seven marvelous restaurants. Non-stop entertainment. Phone 1-800-937-7777. Excalibur. It will take your breath away. Excalibur was directed by, of all people, John Borman. It was, yeah! It was, what the fuck's up with that? Uh, <laughs> I, Jesus. It was written by Rospo Pallenberg and John Borman. It's a triumph return yeah. of Leslie, ne- Leslie Nielsen. Leslie Nielsen is in this? I missed that scene. <laughs> uh, he played the lady in the lake. Liam Neeson. Oh, that's who it was. Uh, Elastic the Phantom Menace. Patrick Stewart. X, X-Men, I think, is the last time we saw him. Is, I'm not sure. This may be the triumphant debut of Helen Mirren. Ooh, nice. Helen Mirren could get it, boy. Helen she Mirren is amazing. Get it. She can get it. <laughs> it is the triumph return of Gabriel Byrne. Last not seen since the days of a devil who pissed gasoline in End of Days. <laughs> it's a triumph return of Nicole Williamson, uh, or Nicole Williamson, last seen in mm-hmm. Spawn, who he plays... Uh, pretty much the same character. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Instead of playing Merlin, he plays a knight with Excalibur in his arm. Um, <laughs> it was released April 10th, 1981 on a budget of $11 million. The film made $35 million. Arthurian legend gets a soft focus, full frontal adaptation. <clears throat> I said, dudes will promise anything to get laid. In this <laughs> imagining of the entirety of Arthurian legend, from Uther to Sword in the Stone to Incest, the Holy Grail, <laughs> Helen Mirren, and beyond. Oh yeah, like when they went to adapt Arthurian legend, they were like, "What if we adapted all of it? All of it, everything, everything, and just jump Holy cut from shit. legend to legend to legend to legend." Yeah. Um, <laughs> no, you're 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 100 right. That's a that's a great. Uh, astute observation about the film. I knew this <laughs> film mostly because its trailer was parodied by Leatherface, the Leatherface yes. trailer with the the saw the, in the lake yeah. instead of the sword. Yes, uh, and the best thing about Texas Chainsaw Massacre Three, Leatherface <clears throat> or Leatherface of Texas Chainsaw Massacre Three, yeah, is uh, that trailer because that movie sucks. But <laughs> that trailer it's, is awesome. It has Viggo Morton, a young, very young Viggo Mortensen in it. A lot of those movies have a lot of young, lot of people in them, and they all That's very suck. true. Yeah. Sorry, Renee <laughs> Zellweger and Matthew McConaughey. That's the next one, the next generation. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm, I'm watching this movie. It's the first time I've seen it. Uh, mm-hmm. Had you seen it before? When I was a kid. Yeah. So this was a revisit for me. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Holy Grail comes out in 75. This comes out in 81. Not that long, far removed, right? No. How does anybody see this movie in 1981 and not immediately think of Holy Grail, if they had seen Holy Grail? Exactly. Yeah. Right? Yeah. 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 You'd expect to all the horse, you know, the coconuts yeah. Yeah. Come riding through, stuff like that. And then the whole Lady in the Lake stuff. Uh, yeah. It, it's... it's it, <sighs> It's hard to take this movie seriously at times. It really is. And mm-hmm. I th- it's really odd because the movie starts off, overall, it's a very dark movie. Very dark. Which, I mean, the, those medieval stories and really any kind of ancient myths, if you really read mm-hmm. them, they all have like incest, rape, murder, you know, holy wars and all kinds of stuff. Horrible, horrible stuff. Yeah, right. <clears throat> all the classic epic stories have those, those elements. So it's, mm-hmm. it's faithful to the source material, if we want to call it that. 
But I was just surprised in an era where, where there was this resurgence of fantasy, like the mm-hmm. late set because of Star Wars mostly. Yeah. Um, that they were just like, yeah, we're going to do it. We're going to, even after Monty Python, we're going to do it as, as earnest as possible, as straight as possible, as grim and ugly and mm-hmm. dark as possible. Yeah. Every character is completely morally fucked. Yes. <laughs> and the only little bit of humor you're going to get is like occasionally Merlin is going to be silly a little bit, a little bit, a little bit. but Merlin's also going to be very morally fucked. Merlin is a, he's a dick. <laughs> he's a trickster. He is a trickster. Which, which here's the thing. That's like true to what wizards actually are. Right. Like they have yes. their own yes, it is. agendas mm-hmm. and they use spells and powers to accomplish, even if they're good wizards. But- they're they're tricksters. They're tricksters. They're gonna they're gonna make sure that they have something in their back pocket to yeah. trade in later. Now, where it really threw me off, Lindsay, mm-hmm. is because it's so dark and so sexual. It's very sexual. Yes, very sexual. John Berman decided to cast his own daughter, Katrin Borman, as the woman whose beauty sent kingdoms to war. And then who is raped via the magic of Merlin and the lust of Uther. In front of her daughter. Arthur's mother. <laughs> yeah. That's his daughter. Yeah. Egrain is, he cast. His daughter. Yeah. It's. He <sighs> filmed a rape scene with his own biological daughter. And he's, and he filmed a scene of her dancing lustily and another man like just barely able to contain himself watching. Like seeing this woman. Just seeing her drives him yeah. into such frothing frenzy that he has to have her. And it's very uncomfortable because yeah. he's just kind of like just staring and grunting a little bit, sweating. <laughs> sweating. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, it's very, very uncomfortable. <laughs> Would you like to reenact the grunting? <laughs> <laughs> well, it's, you almost did it. I did it. You almost I did, almost it, did yeah. it. But it's... Yeah. But, 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 <laughs> You went into actor mode for a second. You were like, gonna like uh, <laughs> no, but the, the the thing is, this entire movie is dubbed, so it's dubbed grunting, which brings yes. it to an even higher level. <laughs> a higher level of what? Of just kind of creepy and just kind. <laughs> well, and but it, yeah. it in addition to that, all the dialogue being dubbed in that way, it, it yeah. feels just very like explosive almost mm. at times it, it just there there's no there's no nuance to what they're saying or how they're saying it it's just it's just blurted out quickly i i actually think that's true yeah. because it, it it feels especially like some of merlin's stuff mm-hmm. because the adaptation of it is like it's in kind of mar- modern parlance it's in modern language but it's still retain some of the clunky old timey language and sentence structure. And then, Mm -hmm. yeah, because it's all post sync, the performances somehow end up being even bigger. Yeah. Like the, the, the vocal performances are sometimes bigger than the physical performance. Yes. Yes. And so then Arthur and Merlin will just all of a sudden be like, they're just just shouting, but their faces are just like, nothing's happening. It's it's weird. It is very weird. (laughs) It's weird. The entire time I thought to myself, Robert Eggers would direct the shit out of this Oh, movie. yeah. Oh, yeah. Like, if anybody needs to and remake And he would Excalibur, put his actors through hell to do it. <laughs> I, I kind of want to see Eggers do this. I do a good I job. I want to see a reboot mm-hmm. of this. Uh, 
I, I, on the record, if I don't really like fantasy movies in, in general, okay. I don't really like them of this era. Mm-hmm. I don't care about like knights and all this sort of shit, dragons and whatnot. Mm-hmm. doesn't really do anything for mm-hmm. me. But somehow, the guy who made Zardoz <laughs> and The Exorcist II, The Heretic, which have a lot of the same weird performance, post-sync, yeah. ADR shit. He did Deliverance. Zardoz! Too, yeah. <laughs> The penis is bad. <laughs> the gun is good. And then just a giant head vomiting machine gun. Yeah. Who knew that would actually come true? That's basically just, you know, our current world, mm-hmm. right? Just a giant floating head. Just goes from have a gun, state gun, to gun, state. gun, gun. Yeah. <laughs> puking guns out <laughs> and um, being against penises, especially if they're penises with makeup on. Yeah. We don't like that. Penis is fine. <laughs> penis could do whatever it wants. Well, as long as it doesn't wear a wig. No. If the penis puts a wig on, penis is bad. Mm-hmm. Very bad. Uh, but somehow, to me, this one is like semi-elevated above the typical clunky fantasy movies of the era. It's still overwrought. It's still hammy as hell. Yeah. But, but somehow, it's just, it's like, it's better than like Crawl. It's better than. <laughs> I fucking love Crawl. Um <laughs> Yeah, it's terrible, but I, I, I love all the practical effects and everything in that movie. It's just kind of silly. But no, um, this one, I mean, they have some amazing uh, like set pieces in this movie and battle sequences yeah. that are big and with fire and tons of extras and horses and so much armor um, that was made. And, uh, and I think also the more surrealistic aspects of this movie elevated as well, because there's there's some weird ass shit in this movie. Just, just super weird. weird. And that keeps, that keeps your interest. And, and I think it, it, because I mean, there was a lot of weird shit in old Arthurian legends also. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, it's just carrying over from that, but, but yeah, the, the surrealism is, is off the charts in this movie compared to other fantasy films of the time. Yeah, I think there's so, there's something about that post sync ADR the, mm-hmm. the 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 absolute love affair that he has with that Vaseline the soft, soft focus fu- the fuzzy focus yeah <laughs> fuzzy focus and because the, there's all the like because um, especially when they get into the silver armor it's always shining reflecting, reflecting the light uh, yeah, yeah, yeah 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 so it just seems more and more dreamlike yes exactly mm-hmm. that's what I was gonna say it seems truly more and more like a an actual fantasy like a mm-hmm. an imagination uh and because it, it, it goes from being kind of dark and grounded yes. in, a, in a weird way even though merlin but like he's got the shiny thing and it just gets like shinier and shinier and softer and softer and more mm-hmm. more gaussian more gaussian blur more gaussian blur until the very abrupt end where everything kind of wraps itself up and then arthur is just put on a ship and sent off into oblivion mm-hmm. it's like what the hell? What's yeah. <laughs> what? Well, and I, and I think maybe that was done on purpose, possibly, because, you know, when the more soft it gets and shiny and, and pretty and dreamlike is more during the peacetime of, of you know, Very the, the story. And so it's, it's, it's more positive and happy, I guess. And at the beginning, it's dark, it's dirty, there's fire and smoke because there's conflict and all that. And we get that mm-hmm. same thing at the end with the battle with Mordred and stuff. And it loses yeah, its the lust. There's no luster yeah. there. Yeah. Wow. Um, let's talk about Arthur himself. Nigel, Nigel Terry. <laughs> Horrible. 
so bad. Because, like I said, I hadn't seen this since I was a kid. So, you know, I remember Patrick Stewart and, you know, all those bigger names that went on to do bigger, better things. I remember that all those people were in it. But this guy I had completely forgotten about. When he shows up at the, you know, as the, he's just in rags almost, you know, the little brother at the jousting tournament. I'm like, that's the guy. A 50 year old boy pulls his horse. <laughs> yeah. 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 Oh, I, he was horrible, horrible. <laughs> yeah. He's horrible. There's nothing charismatic there's- about his performance at all. I'm no. like, and, and especially when the knights come to the other side and start following him as him and stuff. I'm like, why? Cause he, he has Excalibur. He does. But it, it, there should be more to it than that. He should have more charisma and gravitas as a king and a leader, and, and it just doesn't come through at all. Well, I, I think you're 100% right, because this this story is really all about the, as a lot of these old stories, these old myths are, it's, it's they're all like um, morality tales. Yes. Very much in the same vein as like the biblical stories of like mm-hmm. King David or whatever, where you have the kid who is, you know, looked over and is not really seen as anything, but has some sort of victorious triumph that nobody expects, mm-hmm. whether it's killing a giant or pulling a sword from a stone, yeah. you know, whatever. It's, it's you know, the, the hero of the thousand faces, yes. Joseph Campbell monomyth stuff. Mm-hmm. And then he's the reluctant leader. And then, you know, there's a, a, a supernatural force a wizard a prophet or something and says you'll be the king yes. you know <laughs> and, and his birth is foretold and whatnot and then he doesn't really want to do and he's unsure of himself and then as he gains stature and success and confidence and peacetime and mm-hmm. all those things his arrogance is his undoing yes. be it Bathsheba from the window and then all of that or be it um you know breaking Excalibur mm-hmm. or you know uh being blinded to the you know the guinevere stuff yes um uh, yeah so it, like every like this follows that typical trajectory mm-hmm. but because this guy is so just unlikable yeah. and his performance is so just bad it's just a bad performance all mm-hmm. the way through we never believe him as that leader i no. never believe him as you know this guy brought peace to england and britain i never believe it no um I don't believe his undoing. I don't, I didn't like, I never believe that he's so charismatic that, 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 uh, that his arrogance leads to the undoing of all of Britain because he's never charismatic. He's never, he's not, he's no. not. And the other thing that runs through this entire film is that, that lust will be your downfall. Yes. And because, well, at the beginning, Gabriel Byrne, he's like, I just want one night with her, Merlin. Let me get laid. Whatever it takes. Whatever the cost, Marlon. Whatever the cost. Whatever the cost. And 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 Arthur says that too when he wants Marion or not Marion, Guinevere, wrong legend, Guinevere to fall in love with him. He says, I don't care what the cost. And and that's another downfall. It's it's like uh, you may want this so bad, but you're not thinking what what could be too much. To give back, you know what I mean. Correct. They say whatever the cost, without thinking what's what does that actually mean? Because that could be well, something that I don't know yeah. or don't have yet that you're gonna want. And that's where they both they both fuck up. <laughs> well, honestly, though, that to me is the strongest part of this movie. Yeah. 
of seeing those that that same cycle play out again and mm-hmm. again. And even Merlin, Merlin sees Uther's lust as an a, a way of accomplishing a goal that he has. Yes. Right? Mm-hmm. Which is to produce some kind of a king who be worthy of Excalibur. Yes. In his mind to bring peace to Britain and and because Uther fucked up this truce because of the lust and yep. whatnot. So uh, I, I understand that. Like he had to invest all this time in Uther and Uther drops the ball at the very end because of, you know, his lust. Mm-hmm. And so he wants to, he wants to try to do it again and produce an heir. And that ends up being a fatal flaw because he's producing an, uh, I don't mean to be punny here, <laughs> but he's producing an heir out of error. Yes. He's produ- He's trying to produce a righteous king out of sin out of sin yeah yeah and deception so how is how is a a child born of rape and deception Mm -hmm. and sorcery gonna end up being the pure light to guide all of britain into peace exactly it was never gonna work so even merlin is deceived Mm -hmm. and then he's just like his fucking father and uh, his actions because (laughs) yes (laughs) yeah because merlin's like hey and those if you end up marrying this woman, she's gonna she's gonna fuck your best friend. And he's like, I don't care. Yeah. Yeah. Cause I love that I do love yeah. that little scene where she gives him like the tart with like opiates in, opiates in it or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and Merlin is like, you know, the future is like that tart. You don't know what's gonna happen. You don't know for sure what it contains until you take a bite. And then it's too late. And by then it's yeah. too late. You've already taken the bite. Um, and what's great about that is before Merlin is even done with his metaphor, takes it's already, the decision's already been yep. made. The f- and he's like, he, he like he barely finishes the sentence. He's like, too late. Yep. Yeah. You know, it's like, it's already, ha- he's watching it happen again. There are a few lines like that that I think mm-hmm. are actually really effective. Like mm-hmm. my favorite line from this movie is, um, when a man lies, he murders some God in the world, mm-hmm. which is just a great w- weird fantasy thing to say line, yes right <laughs> when a man lies he murders some god in the world mm-hmm. and there's and there we're also at that like the point of time where uh it's very lord of the rings-esque and i don't know where it first emerged but merlin is constantly saying uh the gods of once are gone it is now the dawn of the time of men time of man. which is so uh gandalf right? yes <laughs> like it's time for the pagan gods and the magic of it Magic the 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 magic uh, world to fade away and, and let the, men the, take over, yeah. And the Christian God is going to take over, mm-hmm. and Arthur has a Christian wedding. It still has paganism mixed into it, mm-hmm. and and it obviously I think is is uh, mixed into some later accounts of Arthurian legend because early Christianity made its uh, arrived in Britain in uh, like the sixth century, mm-hmm. and Arthur the Arthurian legends are supposed to take place in the late fifth, early sixth century. So, so it'd be, it's like the same time, yeah. Mm-hmm. So I thought that was an interesting connection to make mm-hmm. of, well, if we were going to tell this story honestly and earnestly and seriously, how do we account for the fact that there is no magic in the world, right? Like sorcery and magic and dragons don't fucking exist anymore. Yeah. So how do we take this as real history if <laughs> it's all fantasy, right? And their explanation is, well, those things did exist. But right at the time of Arthur, mm-hmm. they were fading away because people were turning more towards the Christian God. Yes. Who's personified by an incarnate human being in, in Jesus. So mm-hmm. it's, it's becoming the time of men 
as opposed to the time of like the primordial gods of Britain and whatnot, dragons. And so magic is decreasing and religion uh, is increasing and Merlin's powers are fading and he's trying to, you know, his last effort uh, mm-hmm. before he goes off into the mists of time is to try to create a worthy king to wield Excalibur and he fails. Yeah. Yeah. He wants to yeah. leave the world in the best hands that he can if he's going to not be there anymore and he he makes the wrong choice. And also in doing this act, he creates another great evil in the world in Morgana. Yes. Because she sees, she sees what happens that night when, when Uther comes in disguised as her father and rapes her mother. And she's, she likes magic and and seems to have something inside her. She can see the future some, and he won't. He like spurns her advances essentially, and so she's like, well, "All right, I'll go off and create my own heir." <laughs> well, yeah, it's that's a whole weird whole thing other because, weird thing because she's like a little girl and he's an old wizard mm-hmm. and she hates him because of what he did. Yeah, he totally doesn't give a shit. But then she's trying to seduce him when she's older, and then uh-huh. he's attracted to her, but doesn't want anything to do with it. But she's she is trying to get this spell. Yeah, the so the, she can, the words of making or the words of yeah the, the like words that. of curse of making words of making yeah. something like that yeah um yeah and it's yeah it, it that's that's when the movie starts to get <laughs> really real weird. weird. Uh, another another one of Arthur's sins is rage, his anger, his temper. Uh-huh. Which his dad also had, mm-hmm. because twice it cost him the sword. Yep. The first time he actually breaks Excalibur. Breaks when the he's, fucking when he's, thing. Yeah, when, when he's, he's fighting uh, Lancelot. 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 Yeah. Yeah. And then he's like, "Oh, he's all repented or whatever." And the Lady of the Lake forgives him and gives him back the sword. Mm-hmm. Then he does it again when he like strikes the land or whatever mm-hmm. and like curses God. And then because Merlin's magic is connected to the land. The sword ends up going through Merlin and pinning him. Yeah. Just as he was back. about to. Yeah. Yeah. Just as he was about to uh, use that chant, that spell to entrap Morgan Le Fay because he caught on to what she was trying to do. Mm-hmm. And so he's going to use like the dragon's breath and the, yeah. the words of making or whatever to try to like lock her into this prison Because she state. wouldn't need, she, he, she wanted to see the dragon and he knew that she couldn't like take that on and it would destroy her i think is what happened and that she would destroy the world yeah. basically because she's evil mm-hmm. yeah so yeah he would yeah so he's tricking her and like oh yeah i'll show I'll you i'll give you the power and, and she can't yeah take yeah the power, yeah <laughs> and then yeah he ends up whatever so yeah like it's i again i think the themes are very strong i think some of the character like the turns where yeah. you see these repeated cycles of sin and mm-hmm. downfall and hubris and arrogance and lust and all this sort of stuff uh, I like the fact that the, the movie is bookended where, going back to that pagan versus Christian thing, mm-hmm. Arthur's life begins with the pagan magic of Merlin, mm-hmm. and Arthur's life ends with the quest for the Holy Grail. Yes. Right? Yeah. A different type of magic, a different, you know, mm-hmm. a, a Christian quest. He's born of one type of magic, He's per- and at the end, it's all wrapped up in a different type of magic. Mm-hmm. Um, now, I will say this. It's hard to say that an epic is too long. Yeah. However, <laughs> this movie is 30 minutes too long. <laughs> it is. It is. Too long. And too long. I mean, and like we said at the beginning, they they pack a lot into this movie. Everything. So much stuff. 
starting, like I said, with Uther, and then we get the ending of of the animated film Sword in the Stone, <laughs> and then, yeah, and then you know his wedding and meeting Guinevere, and then he encounters Lancelot, and then that whole mess happens, and then then we get the story of Percival, <laughs> like yes. his entire saga. Uh, from when he comes in to when he finds the grail. And then we get all the stuff with Morgan Le Fay and uh, Mordred. And Mordred, and Mordred yeah. the weird little boy in the the very cheap-looking gold armor. <laughs> yes, the gold <laughs> the spray painted, The spray-painted yes. armor. And and their final battle. I mean, there's so much in this movie. It's, it's hard yes. to keep track of. And they s- now, I will say, though, the the uh, it almost was reminiscent of and obviously it'd be the other way around, uh-huh. but the uh, Mordred Arthur battle. So because that's his son slash brother. Yeah. <laughs> wait, wait, yeah. Wait, wait. Son slash nephew. nephew. There, yeah. 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 Nephew son. Nephew son. <laughs> yeah. It felt very uh, Francis Ford Coppola, Dracula. Yeah. Because you had the backdrop of like the fading sun mm-hmm. and then the like the obvious set, but then like the spear through Arthur where his yes. guts are at the end of the spear. Yes. And then the <laughs> and then, sword through Mordred. Yes. Yeah. I was like, okay, yeah. Again, there's some really creative, interesting, oh, yeah. artistic the, shots in this movie. The the um the gallop through the cherry blossoms to O Fort I think it's O Fortuna from Carmen. Yeah. That's that's great. And well, okay, maybe you know this. Is is this the movie that popularized O Fortuna again? Because I think so. Throughout the rest of the decade, that song was so much. No, I think so because that scene of them riding through the cherry blossoms with that music. I mean, it's like Ride of the Valkyries in in Apocalypse yeah. Now. It's right. It's an iconic piece of film matched with a, a iconic piece of music. Yeah. Um, yeah, so I was going to say, I hope you like O Fortuna, and I hope you like Soft Focus, because you're going to see it, lot. and you're going to hear it. You're going to hear it. <laughs> okay, um, I give this movie a 7.5 out of 10. It's too long. It's 30 minutes too long. It's overly ambitious. It doesn't completely work, but it's just odd enough that it kept my attention mm-hmm. all the way through, uh, and it's... My number one for the week. I'm putting it on the short list. Oh my Straight off the top, God. Excalibur. I know people are going to think I'm nuts. <laughs> you probably think I'm nuts. No, not really. I, I, I came up with something pretty similar. I, I gave it a 7.5 because it is a technical achievement. I mean, there's a lot of special effects in this movie. Um, some of them aren't so great. Like the whole sequence at Camelot, I fucking hated. Because it, it just didn't fit with everything else, and it looked nah, it, looks cheap. it looked cheap and bad, and and it wasn't lit right. I hated that whole middle sequence of them at Camelot, I agree. Um, except for the 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 hall with the round table. I thought that looked very very good. Yes, um, better than everything else, at least. Yes, in Camelot. Um, but yeah, there's great set pieces that that battle at the castle with the fire and the smoke, and there's they're fighting in the water. It's great. Um, when he meets Lancelot on the bridge with the giant waterfall on the back, that looks great. And, and many of the other things that we talked about. But yeah, it's just, it's, uh, the acting is weird. The lead does not carry the movie through whatsoever. Nope. Um, but 
there's so much weird shit in this that I love it. Helen Mirren is in it and she's doing a bunch of weird shit and her gowns are amazing. So, so I put this. That's the only thing that's amazing. Holy (laughs) moly. Holy moly. (laughs) No, she's, she's amazing. I love Helen Mirren, but I put this as my number two. This is my second favorite. Fair enough. Fair enough. All right. Well, I think we've talked enough about Excalibur. Let's Mm -hmm. move on to, boy, this one. 1983's Blue Thunder, which currently has a 78%. On Rotten Tomatoes. The military let police officer Frank Murphy in on their secret weapon. I thought it was illegal to arm police helicopters. They made him part of the plan. Do you think you can fly it? You flew it, didn't you? They wanted him to follow orders. We turn a face and we're going to open fire. He wanted to follow his conscience. I want you to pick up a package for me. Don't stop for anything or anybody. But will they let him live to do that? Roy Scheider, Blue Thunder, the ultimate weapon, rated R. Now playing at a theater near you. Again. This movie is directed by John Badham, of all people. Yeah. And it was written by Dan O'Bannon, I know. of all people. And, and I can see where some of his stuff comes through with some of the, the humor and the sex, sexual stuff. That's totally Dan O'Bannon. Um, that's his style. So, uh, yeah. But I, I, I forgot. I didn't know he wrote any part of this. <laughs> no. He wrote it with uh, Don Jacoby. Mm-hmm. It is the triumphant return of Mario Machado, who plays himself in this <laughs> But I know him from RoboCop, and I learned in this movie he was actually a real news reporter. Okay. I thought he was just a fake reporter from RoboCop. Yeah. No, he's a yeah. real guy. <laughs> I knew Lisa Gibbon was a real person. Mm-hmm. I didn't realize that. Yeah, whatever. Uh, <laughs> it's Triumph Return of Daniel Stern, last seen in Leviathan, six pack. Triumph Return of Malcolm McDowell, last seen in Clockwork Orange. It was released May 13th, 1983, on a budget of $22 million. It made $42 million at the box office. Now, follow this, folks. (laughs) World-weary Vietnam veteran turned helicopter cop on the edge gets sucked into a surveillance state conspiracy. One more time with Panache. World-weary Vietnam veteran turned helicopter cop on the edge gets sucked into a surveillance state conspiracy. I have very similar. A Vietnam vet turned copper in a chopper is is caught up in shady military dealings when he's targeted to test out a new high-tech helicopter. (laughs) How many early 80s cliches can we shove into one fucking character? He's not just a cop on the edge with a Trans Am who speeds through the streets, the wet streets of L.A. at night. (laughs) He's not just that. He's not just that. He's also a completely PTSD Rambo-style Vietnam veteran. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, <laughs> I, they're just cramming it all up. Okay, everything. I ended up having to watch it twice because I finished it, but I was like, uh, I need to watch it where I don't feel. Uh, deep I need to see that scene again. <laughs> yeah, no, 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 no. Uh. <laughs> oh boy! I mean, once was enough for me. Um, th- <laughs> this movie fires up. And I look at it and I go, oh, I remember when people knew how to make movies. Uh Because by all accounts, this was a moderately successful film. Mm -hmm. It's on a list called Forgotten Films in the 1980s. It's not a widely loved film. Yes, it produced a TV show and Mm -hmm. da 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 But And a remake. remake. I found that out today. There's a remake in (laughs) pre-production. Okay. 
Um, <laughs> I don't know why, but there yeah, is. Who's asking for that? <laughs> but um, this movie genuinely, not every part of it, but it genuinely, there is craftsmanship involved. Oh, God, yes. And it genuinely, you look at it and you go, oh. I, and then I talked to somebody uh, off mic about this, a friend. And the realization that I had, and this is so obvious, it's stupid for even me to say it out loud, but I'm going to. <laughs> the realization of why these movies looked, even mediocre, mid-tier movies mm-hmm. from this era typically look so good, is not just the fact that it was more practical than CGI, blah, blah, yeah. blah, but it's because the people working on them were, in the, in the 80s, were in their 50s and 60s. Yeah. And they had, from the time that they were like 15 years old, had worked through the gold and silver age of Hollywood. Yes. Yeah. Your lighting people, your cinematographers, your gaffers, your best boys, your production uh-huh. designers, your costumers. These are people who essentially grew up through the development of Hollywood. Mm-hmm. Almost from its origins, almost from the, the yeah. days of the first talking movies. Yeah. Some of these people were still working in the 80s. Mm-hmm. They're all gone now. So yes. all of the classic craftsmanship people, they're dead. They're they're dead. Oh yeah. Yeah. But yeah. There's a the lot guy of who stuff shot forgotten. This, yeah, it's forgotten. Mm-hmm. The guy who shot this, the cinematographer, is John A. Alonzo. Yes. Because I was like, the, the cinematography is incredible in this. Who shot this movie? Well, he shot the Magnificent Seven in Chinatown. And Scarface. And Scarface. <laughs> and then like older, like even movies before that. Yeah. Like, this guy had been a cinematographer for 50 years mm-hmm. <laughs> by the time the 80s had come around, had worked with every major director who ever fucking lived, mm-hmm. had worked on high-budget movies, low-budget movies. Had, it was the cinematographer on so many classic so films. So many things. And then you realize, oh, well, all of these tradespeople, these, these craftsmen and women, there was no money in what they're doing. So you could work on one of the great all-time instant classic films like Chinatown or mm-hmm. Magnificent Seven. And then you'd have to work on another movie yeah. because you weren't making that much money. No, it's just a job. It's just a job. And mm-hmm. they're going from job to job. But they're taking this high-end, these high-end experiences and this knowledge base that they're cultivating mm-hmm. over decades. And they're applying it to a jumbled mess of a movie <laughs> like Blue Thunder <laughs> with some of the most bizarre idiosyncratic dialogue I've ever heard. Every single character. It seems like they're in their own movie. Yeah, yeah. No, I would agree with that. <laughs> it's not. They're just like, it's not even like they're talking to each other. No. It's, it's like you took a bunch of random dialogue <laughs> and just fed it into a script, and it's like, well, this guy's in one movie. Daniel Stern's in one movie. Uh, well, the, his the girlfriend's, girlfriend's in, on another fucking planet. She's on another <laughs> planet. What movie is this? What movie? Where is this woman coming from? <laughs> And then his responses to her are from a completely different oh, yeah. movie. It's like, what the fuck? And that's ultimately, the script is garbage for this movie. <laughs> the premise is fine. The cinematography is outstanding. Outstanding. The direction is good. The stunt work in this the movie is incredible. Are, last 30 minutes of this movie are nuts. Yes. You'll never see anything like no. this again. <laughs> they took two real fucking helicopters through downtown LA. Through the LA River. The and, <laughs> yeah, they explode. They dropped chicken from the sky. Okay. Oh, it's incredible. <laughs> Actual yeah. chicken. Yeah, they're in the LA River Basin going like it's Terminator 2 style going under underpasses. Mm-hmm. 
It's all practical. Mm -hmm. uh, it looks incredible for insurance reasons. It'll never happen again no. unless Tom Cruise wants to do it. <laughs> um, and yeah, it's just, and then you're like, but all the dialogue is awful. Yeah. The characterizations <laughs> are awful. The, the, uh, and they, I think I think Roy Scheider is miscast. Also, I'm just he is it. he is. This is not yeah. his type of character that he does. What he does well is what he did in Jaws. The more mm -hmm. he he doesn't play like self assured, cocky, you know, grizzled no. characters very well because it's just not who he is. No. Yeah. So the uh, this movie revolves around a bunch of cliches like cop on the edge, Vietnam vet, conspiracy thriller, sci-fi mm -hmm. warning, mm -hmm. action war movie. Um, the characters. I just wrote. I had so many questions, Lindsay. <laughs> like Kate. Like my first. My question about Kate, his girlfriend, is: Is she mentally ill? She has to be. She has to be. Who flips a U-turn? doing 50 in the middle of a road to turn around and go wrong way on a one-way street with their child in the car because they missed the turn off to a train ride. A child train ride. A child's train ride, yes. <laughs> who shows up at, who leaves so many messages with a boyfriend so you who dumped you? Okay, okay. I, yeah, I, I, don't I don't understand their relationship at all. Here's what I think it's trying to say. Because she leaves a message or s says it to him in person eventually. Like, how was your time in Pasadena? Blah, 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 blah. I think that what happened was he mm -hmm. went to a psych facility. He's just coming. He was Possibly. on leave for psychiatric reasons. Mm -hmm. They And then he came back. That's why they're like, he's timing himself. And they're like, they mm -hmm. want you to do another psyche eval and all this sort yeah. of stuff. Because he was apparently off duty in a completely different well, town. Because they talk about he had like an episode with his yeah. former observer, but they don't yes. really tell us what actually happened. Not at all. Not at all. No. <laughs> and at some point during that, he decided, um, I need to break up with this crazy lady because yeah. I'm I'm crazy. <laughs> and so instead, she just leaves him minute by minute messages on his answering machine every five minutes. And then he gets home from afternoon shift at like three o'clock in the morning. Mm -hmm. And then she just shows up at his house mm -hmm. with a key that he wanted back that he doesn't know that she has. Yeah. And her small child yes. in her arms Sleeping. at 3 a.m. to beg him to give her the dick. Or to get a blender. <laughs> Well, but no, because yeah, it's for the blender, but she says, I want my blender. Can you give me a blender? But, and she's like, and there's something else I need you to give me on one mm. of the answering machine messages. That's right. And she's like, and she's like, and only you can give it to me. And I'm like, oh my God. Jesus lady. So was she going to, was the plan to like take her sleeping child and put him on a couch and get dicked down by Roy Scheider? Yeah. Yeah. I think so. Th this woman is deeply unwell. She does not make good choices, but, but, but. But she is a ride or die bitch. She will drive to that drive-in and jump into a dumpster yeah. and flee from the police, crash 100%. through fences because yes. you asked her to do it, to get yes. a tape from point A to point B. And God damn it, she does it. <laughs> Their reconciliation is when she finds her blender, she finds a box with a 
table skirt? Is that what that is? Uh, a tablecloth? Table it's a big yeah. thing of fabric. <laughs> yeah. Like a big doily. Yeah. And then she puts it over his head and she forcibly kisses him. Uh-huh. And then they get out to the car and the kid turns out the kid was faking that he was asleep the whole time. Mm-hmm. And then she's like, you know, I'm going to really work on you because we're going to have to start getting serious about this relationship. So I'm going to really be holding you account, whatever she says to him. He's like, she, he's, she's like, are you ready for that? And he's like, yeah, I'm ready. And I'm like, what? what? <laughs> you, he almost shot her when she came yeah. through the door. One blender, one kiss later, and he's just back in. Yeah, I I don't know. I don't know. They say crazy women are wild in bed, so I don't know. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> it's true. Yeah, it is. One of my favorite reviews on Letterboxd, I don't even remember what the movie is. Mm-hmm. And I've said it before on the show. One of my favorite reviews, uh, 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 one of the top female reviewers on Letterboxd, <laughs> I think her I think her name is Oat Milk. <laughs> the cute. <laughs> she wrote a review for some movie. And it might have been Vertigo. Mm-hmm. And she just said, I don't like this word, but I'm gonna use it. She said, How good pussy gotta be to do all that? Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> Rick Excalibur and, and Blue, Blue Thunder. Thunder. <laughs> My I quote the lady Oak Milk going, How how good pussy gotta be to do, do all, all that? that. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> There are other women in the world. They Arthur. are. <laughs> Jesus. There are other women in the world, Roy Scheider. Yes. <laughs> oh, boy. Uh, Murphy is also mentally ill. Uh, Lyman Good. Are we in or are we out on Lyman Good, Daniel Stern? The character and the performance. I I mean, I, I think he's one of the better parts of the movie. Um, because, I mean, there's not much to his character. He's just, he's the rookie that's, that's, that's shacked up with the, 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 the grizzled veteran, you know, it's, you have to, yeah, yeah, you have to have that dynamic. And I mean, he's, he's got some, he's got some good funny parts. I mean, like when he's trying to grab the lady's boobs through the screen, because for some reason, anytime they go out to test equipment or show equipment, they have to look at, (laughs) they have to zoom in or, or spy on a woman's private parts for some reason. They As t- a woman, how do, how, do you, how do you feel about that? I don't, eh, I don't know. I mean, because I, they're up there like in official capacity doing this. It just, yeah. It just seems really, really gross. Uh, but well, I, but this, is, this is from a writer who held a woman at gunpoint while pornography played on the TV. Yeah, yeah. To cast her in a zombie movie. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Dan. <laughs> yeah. Jesus. Oh, sexual deviant Dan. Yes. God. Rest in peace, brother. <laughs> But um, when it got towards the end with his character, I mean, going in, you know, he's not going to make it and he gets it pretty bad. Yeah, 100%. Um, yeah. But the stuff where all of a sudden he knows how to do all this stuff on this super high tech um, helicopter, like with only one of its kind, only prototype. one of its kind. And he, yeah. he knows that he's got his clearance. He's asking it questions. He can use all the equipment and. And get That's the disc and, the and reprogram the code so they can't erase it and da 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 da. And then he leaves a voicemail on the recorder that's on the floor of the copter to tell him where the thing is. And I'm okay, just okay. like, this is going way off the rails. That's bad writing because let's 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 break this down. Mm-hmm. Here. You hit a, you hit all my points. <laughs> 
So this thing is so advanced that they can and they can monitor everything that's happening in this helicopter remotely, right? Mm -hmm. It's because it's communicating whatever. Why does he have clearance to be able to look up classified information? Yeah, I understand that the chopper can do it because mm -hmm. it's a it's basically connected to a network. I also don't know how it's connected to a, a computer network like this before Wi-Fi exists. Like, and fine. and it's connected to like every computer. Yes, correct. <laughs> but that's fine. It's a little sci-fi-ish. Yes. Fine. He should not have clearance to just be able to be like, let me look up secret projects. And it should, it would tell him, right? No. Because eventually they're like, who are you? How are you authorized to do this? And the yeah. computer starts to like shut him down. He never, that's all just plot convenience to be yes. able to move the plot forward. Mm -hmm. Th that, that was very crudely written. Yes. He takes a fuse out of the plane for the recording equipment. How do they not, when that set off a sensor back at HQ that they, so. they, they fucked with the, or at the very least, it would show up there's an error, there's an electronics mm -hmm. error in the helicopter. Of all the places to, okay, he goes through all this rigmarole <laughs> to steal basically the, uh, like a black box. Because they recorded a, a, a conversation that would put their superiors in a compromising position. <laughs> yeah, they, they record, yeah, they recorded the conspiracy. They yes. ended up accidentally getting the conspiracy mm -hmm. and figuring out what this helicopter is really going to be used yep. for, blah, blah, blah. And the fact that they were involved in a killing. And they're going to murder Roy Scheider. They're going to murder him because he's too close to the truth. <laughs> Whatever. Fine. Okay. <laughs> so he leaves a recording, presumably in, here's what doesn't make sense. He leaves like this happy, funny recording. Mm -hmm. The only reason why you would leave a recording like that is the assumption that you, I might die. Yeah. In case of my death, here's where I hid mm -hmm. the secret recording, right? So you can you can find it and 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 protect yourself, yeah, and expose this plot. But instead, that doesn't seem to be the motivation for why he records the message. No, and of all places to record the message, he records it in the helicopter, yeah, <laughs> on a secret military base that somehow, even after they're wanting to kill him, Roy Shutter could just walk onto, yeah. No After problem. he's being hunted by the police. Everyone's and, looking and, for him. <laughs> and blamed for Daniel Stern's murder. Uh-huh. He's still able just to walk onto the secret military base, get into the secret helicopter, take the hidden fuse, put it back in, listen to the secret recording. It's so stupid. And then take off in the secret helicopter. It's so stupid. <laughs> I know he's got to get, get back in the helicopter because that's the climax. Uh-huh. But the entire idea that the secret message he needs from his dead mm -hmm. friend to find the thing is recorded in the thing that's the cause of all the controversy yeah. to begin it with. It makes no sense. Fucking stupid. And how would he even think to to listen to it? Because Daniel Stern did did he he just he gave him some kind of cryptic message yes. on his machine about the the helicopter but somehow he's yes. able to put that together to like oh he means the fuse that's on the floor and if i plug it in i'll be able to hear him tell me where he left this thing it makes no sense it makes absolutely no sense okay cochran aka malcolm mcdowell i think mm -hmm. he's at, uh, horrible in this <laughs> he's he is when he's like Catch you later. Catch you later. Yeah, it's it's so too much. Bad. It's too so much. Bad. I think maybe he was trying to see just how much he could get away with. I don't know, but it's way over the top and not in an enjoyable way. It also feels like he's from a completely different movie. Yeah. It's like 
his old rival who's British but somehow was fighting with the U.S. military in Vietnam who's now part of a CIA surveillance state. Why is this British guy involved in American yeah. espionage? I, and I doing didn't top secret weapons testing. Yeah, and, and they never really go into depth about like what their past contention was. I mean, they he like threw a guy out of, of the helicopter in Vietnam. We, fi- we yes. find out later on that's the trauma that he keeps reliving when he gets his episodes or whatever. Yeah. But and then we hear something. Cochran says something about I would have co- had him up uh, on a court martial if he hadn't been injured. But there, there's no there's no resolution to to that story. We don't no. We don't know why they fucking hate each other that much or like what the history is. And I don't know. It just doesn't make sense. It's it feels like uh, plot points from a different script mm-hmm. that were half baked and then just inserted into this one. Yeah. Which is what so so much of this movie feels like. Um, I will say this. Now, I do appreciate movies from this era, and I, I just harp on this mm-hmm. ad nauseum. So it's pretty annoying, but I'm going to do it again. <laughs> Where have all the odd-looking people gone in movies? Right? Movies used to be populated by odd-looking people who could deliver lines in interesting ways mm-hmm. and be memorable without yes. upstaging the leads. Exactly. And those people have, like, disappeared. Character actors don't exist anymore. No. Really. Everybody's too attractive in movies. Mm-hmm. Background players don't even get dialogue anymore, and if no. they do, it's immemorable. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, if you if you have a memorable moment in a movie, you just end up it's just a cameo where you get somebody you know. It's like oh well, it's somebody from Community shows up, and it's mm-hmm. like oh well, ha ha ha, yep. you know, and they're gonna say a funny line, and it's like oh, Hannibal Burris is gonna show up, it's or like, some late night host is gonna yeah, make not, it it's appearance. Not the, yeah, it's not the same thing. It's not no, the same it thing is not. I just I miss the days of which you'd have these character actors who would just pop up in different movies. And mm-hmm. some of them you'd recognize, and some of them you didn't. And they would write like interesting dialogue for them. And they'd get a scene. Everybody'd get like a little scene, mm-hmm. a little line, and you'd remember that dialogue and you remember that line. And years later we quote those lines yes. and we think about it all the time. Well, Flowers even... made his entire career yes! off of just the one that... Being a bum. stupid dr- drunk driver. Yeah, he just was being a. He was. He made his entire life work mm-hmm. being a drunk bum. <laughs> That's it. Yeah. R.I.P. Buck. Uh. Um. There's some. Speaking of dialogue, there's some really weird quotes in this. <laughs> uh, I got two here for you. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't fly with him for a bull that pissed Jack Daniels. Yeah. I mean. Why does it have to be a bull? And why does it? Have to why be is pissed? it pissing? I mean. Just say for all the Jack Daniels in the world, if you like Jack Daniels that much. And how does it, how is it coming out of a bull make it better? I don't know. Don't know. <laughs> we just came up. You better get back here. This is Warren Oates. But Warren Oates is doing his own thing in this movie. Yes, he is. He, goes, he has some just great lines. <laughs> we just came up with hot mince pie under each arm. <laughs> what? We just came up with hot mince pie under each arm mm-hmm. what does that mean i i don't know what that means i i'm assuming it's a good thing but no i think it's a bad you think thing it's a bad thing i don't know because he's like <laughs> you got to get back here well rush shutter gets suspended and reinstated 10 times in this movie yes yeah like because you're grounded, you're grounded well, we actually, but, we, 
Now, you're grounded because you're a psychopath, but you better come fly this experimental helicopter. I hadn't seen this this movie for a long time. Um, so I thought that when they did that, they were trying to set him up as a patsy. Like, oh, this PTSD war vet went nuts and, and did this shit with a helicopter. You know, I thought that they were trying to, to go at that angle. But no, no. They just like, nah, that's okay if you're crazy. Come fly this $5 million piece of murder <laughs> uh well what's hilarious is that when when malcolm mcdowell is like well i know that guy he's a loose cannon you know blah blah blah, blah. i was gonna get him court-martialed the other guy's like oh well i'll talk to the boss i didn't i didn't realize you guys had a history and you just that- like picking r- random fucking pilots to fly this experimental uh defense department that has access to top secret information (laughs) yeah i was like what the hell you didn't do a background check on the guy it's so crazy it's bad (laughs) it's badly written and they they don't even go into because because what what really turns the screw in this movie is when the 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 female activist is attacked and killed yeah, that's yep. when he starts tr- starts to put things together because he finds a piece of the paper that flew out of the briefcase, whatever. But they never go into like what she had discovered or if she was in on it. They really don't explain that fully. No, my best guess is that they have been inciting violence yes. in the low income area and basically pretending it was minorities who were doing it, mm-hmm. essentially. And she was they figuring could, it out? She was figuring it out that it was a conspiracy to justify okay. m- militarizing the police with s- surveillance state technology. Um, and it was all it was basically just a conspiracy. Now, the ultimate question is, why do they want to have surveillance state technology? We never get a reason for, no. what is the reason for the nefarious? No. Surveillance state plot. What what is their end goal? What are they trying to accomplish? You know, we don't we don't even get the We don't get 80s, anything. We don't even get the classic 80s thing of like RoboCop where OCP wants to sell the technology and make money. Because there seems to be like it's government, but there's also the corporate guys who are mm-hmm. part of that cabal. And if we just would have got an explanation that, oh, well, they they want to be able to sell these things, you know, they make them for five million, they sell them for 20 million. They're just trying to enrich themselves and they're inciting racial fears and violence, and classist fears yeah. to personally enrich themselves. Right. Mm-hmm. And to convince greedy politics and maybe the politicians, local politicians are getting a cut yeah. of the sale or what, you know, like there's backdoor dealings and whatnot. We got no elaboration whatsoever, no. none whatsoever no. as to why they're doing this, what the purpose is, who benefits from this, nothing. And, and this, this movie has a little, tiny opening crawl which essentially says all these weapons are real so be afraid or something i don't know it was just it's like was that the point of the of the entire film i mean instead of trying to put out some coherent plot and and message well, it's pretty film. much like enemy of the state, right? Yeah, where, like the where, where it, it was you. just like yeah. ooh spooky technology government technology kind mm-hmm. of movie like the net and right. and enemy of the state and and shit like that. I think that there is something to have been said for the militarization of police, which uh-huh. we've obviously seen escalate. And it was over happening right around that time, right? So. Right around that time mm-hmm. where we're going from you know revolvers to fucking mm-hmm. you know military grade weapons and whatnot for police officers. 
I think there's something to be said for that. There's something to be said as yeah. like a sci-fi warning of mm-hmm. this is going to go to the big brother state, right? Yes. Kind of a thing. And people will be able to peep on you in your most intimate moments and mm-hmm. listen to you fuck and whatnot. Or disappoint and, your wife. And just, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> what the hell? Yeah, yeah, I know. <laughs> now, yeah. So I think, it, I don't want to go too far down this rabbit hole. What's really interesting <laughs> is they don't have any compunction of looking at boobs and taints. No. But when a guy comes too quick, they're like, well, we better erase that. We, we be- don't want to embarrass yeah. the guy. Oh, uh, we better get out of here. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> we better get guy, out of here. This isn't fun anymore. <laughs> this, this guy, yeah, this guy blew his load too early, so we better. We're going to cover that up. That was their conspiracy. They're going to cover up the guy, the, the guy that just finished too quick. Yep. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, oh, this is a misogynistic Jesus. film, basically. This is an anti-female bit. orgasm film. It is. It is. Yep. <laughs> Um, as much as I've trashed it, as much as I think it doesn't work on a script level, yeah. a dialogue level, as much as I think Dan O'Bannon was probably high on opioids when yes. he made this movie, uh, or Jack Daniels that was shooting out of the dick of a buffalo or whatever, <laughs> um, I, give the, I still give it a 7.25 out of 10. Yeah. Because it looks so good for the most part. You're right about those compositing the, shots. The, the F6, yeah, the jet fighters. Oh, it's so bad. Because <clears throat> everything else was so good up to so that good. point. And then they when that bring helicopter, those out. when Blue Thunder first arrives. Blue Thunder. In the sun. Was, yes. And then it just appears in, in shadow, basically. Mm hmm. I was like, holy I, yeah. shit. Yeah, no, it, it looks, it's very impressive. It's very impressive. Yeah, and I'm a, I'm a sucker. I think you and I are similar in this way. <laughs> we're both perverts, but we're yeah. also, uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, we love, I think we both love 1980s LA at night driving with, with a, a super slick wash yes. car where the neon lights of the city street are reflecting off mm-hmm. of the car as a guy's yes. speeding down the highway. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I fucking love that. And it's got some amazing nighttime LA shots of Roy, mm-hmm. Roy Scheider in a tran T top trans Am. Yes. Fucking <laughs> zooming through. And I, I love that car. I've loved that car since I was a kid. If there's any car I would want, I'd want that car. Although mm-hmm. you can tell in this movie, the suspension is fucked in that car. <laughs> it, the eighties, man, there's those suspensions and those vehicles were dog, dog shit. shit. <laughs> Dog shit. That guy hits the brakes at a stoplight and the whole fucking car lurches forward. <laughs> Jesus Christ. How did anybody live? How did anybody live past the 80s? Yeah, we didn't even wear seatbelts there either. There's no seatbelt. <laughs> and there's just, there's just pure gasoline coming out your tailpipe. Yeah. <laughs> just pure carbon emissions. All right, where do you score this one? Where does it rank for you? Um, I scored this one as a seven because despite all the, all the, the shit that we talked about with the plot and how convoluted it is and how just wacko the characters are, there's so much fun in this. I had fun watching this movie, all the yeah. helicopter action, the explosions, the scene where they are demoing the, air, the, the copter. Mm-hmm. I was, it, it's hysterical. Yes. <laughs> They've got everyone in bleachers at one end of the strafing run. I'm like, that cannot be the safest place for these people to be, especially (laughs) when this thing is taking out 
uh, like one civilian for every 10, they say, but it's obviously way, 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 way more than that. Way more. Yeah. Way more than that. Those exploding little uh, white wooden children. Children. <laughs> children. <laughs> yeah. uh, speaking of character, uh, that scene, I love the guy who I don't know who he is, but he's just like, uh, he says something like, she don't look normal. She don't fly normal yes. because she ain't normal. normal. Yes. No. And I was like, holy that shit. Guy, that guy, I love that guy. He was yeah. memorable. He was memorable. Yes. But though, that yeah. scene's hysterical. But no, I, I love this movie for the, the fun and the action. And there's some incredible, incredible action. And this is my favorite movie. This is my number one. Their number one is Blue Thunder? Yes. I had so much fun watching this movie. Wow. Okay. 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 Yeah. Wow. No. Yeah. It okay. Was Binge fun. Lords at <laughs> li the Lindsay Washburn. <laughs> yeah. Or just Lindsay Washburn on Twitter. On Twitter, it's at Lindsay Washburn. On Instagram, it's the at Lin the Lindsay Washburn. Yes. Um, <laughs> yeah. Hit her up. Uh, <laughs> the cool. There's one cool scene. It's badass. It's a really badass scene. Mm -hmm. It's when his crazy girlfriend is leading a high-speed police chase and she ends up on the highway and the cops have her at gunpoint. Yeah. And fucking out of nowhere, that helicopter rises up behind them. Cuts That's that. cool. Cuts that motherfucker right in half. That's no, cool. That was awesome. <laughs> That's fucking cool. Honestly, this, this movie was probably elevated two points for me. Mm -hmm. Just simply by the last 30 minutes. Mm-hmm. He machine guns a cop car in a high-speed chase yep. in half. They're blowing the top floors off of high-rises. They blow a barbecue shack up, and barbecue chicken flies all over the street. All over. They're, they're zooming through the L.A. River Basin. They're, it's, honestly, it's truly incredible stuff. It is incredible. It, it's shot well. It looks good. It's practical. Mm -hmm. It's very, very, uh, it's dangerous as hell. You'll never see it again. Nope. So for that reason, <laughs> I bumped it up. It's my number two. Uh, I know a lot of people hated this movie uh, who are doing the binge movies challenge, but it's just the way the cookie crumbles. Yeah. Oh, Speaking of hating fun. movies, let's move on to Jake and Maggie Gyllenhaal's dad. Ah! <laughs> Rama, 1985's Certain Fury, which has no Rotten Tomatoes score. Except for the audience score, and the audience is at 37%. <laughs> Disney Summer Classics will continue after these messages. Introducing a new soft drink with 10% real juice. New Slice. We got the juice and I see blast. A burst of juice in every glass. 7-Up doesn't have juice. We got the taste, we got the twist. Sprite doesn't have juice. We got the juice, the others miss. We got the juice, we got the slash. Slice, slice, we got the taste that no one has. New slice, we got the juice. Diet, too. Slice, slice. Certain Fury. Nobody moves. They met in a crossfire. Framed for a crime they didn't commit. I just want a place where I can figure a way out of this mess. And if they can't make it together... I want you away from me. Down! They may not make it at all. But they're not going down without a fight. And we know you're in there. You're gonna do it, do it. Tatum O'Neill, Irene Cara, Certain Fury, Rated R. Coming soon, consult your local newspaper for showtimes. This film was directed by Stephen Gyllenhaal. It was written by Michael Jacobs. It is the triumphant return of Tatum O'Neill, last seen in Little Darlings this very season. It was released March 1st, 
1985 on a budget of not available. It only made $1.3 million. Wow. 25-year-old teen delinquents <laughs> run the mean streets of Sleaze while fleeing a massacre. Tatum O'Neill grew up and is terrible at acting. She and oh. Irene Cara team up to escape a situation they had nothing to do with, a guy named Sniffer, and the tough underbelly of L.A. to find a better life and get shot on a bridge. <laughs> What's Sniffer sniffing? I don't want to know. He's, he's sniffing everything, and it, it's bad. Ugh. Let's start here. Certain <laughs> Fury has a beat-em-up video game name. Yes. And a beat-em-up video game poster. And everybody in it is dressed like characters in a beat-em-up like, video game. Yes. This could this could easily like the poster of this could easily have been a double dragon spinoff. Streets of Rage. Streets yeah. of Rage, Final Fight, Final Fury, uh, Fist of Fury, whatever, all this sort of shit. The movie itself, however, <laughs> is part and parcel of a trend of teen delinquent genre pictures and in a sub sub genre of teen girl delinquent mm -hmm. sub genre films where basically it's preying upon the fears of suburban mm -hmm. Republicans that the minorities in the inner city are going to corrupt your pure white virgin children. Mm -hmm. They're going to become drug addicts and street whores and yes. your teen daughters are going to run these streets as, and become punk rock whores. Yeah. Essentially. Punk rock. Yeah. Punk, punk rock, rock kids are going to take over public schools and murder teachers and all this sort of shit. Right. Mm -hmm. Like there's like class of 84, uh, the the parody of all of that with trauma put out the class of Newcomb High. Mm -hmm. um, the uh, even New Kids is kind of like that a little yeah, bit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, I just did another one. We talked about it's basically the same fucking thing. Uh, the P Albert Pune had one. Uh, dangerously close. I oh think. yeah. No, not, is it dangerously I think close? It's yeah, dangerously it is. Close, yeah. yeah, yeah. Where it's it, the whole concept is the the kids the, the kids aren't all right. Kids are They're not all to right. Rock and roll. <laughs> And they're smoking cigarettes and maybe some left-handed cigarettes, and <laughs> they're gonna they're they're running amok, right? Like, mm -hmm. and and your daughter's gonna become whores. That's what this movie belongs in that yes, exploitation subgenre. So. I got questions though. Okay. <laughs> Are the courtroom killers in this movie the two oldest teenagers ever in film history? Yeah. Well. It well, They're fifty-year-old women. They are, and because I never like thought that at all that they were supposed to be teenagers. I don't know because they are all old. They're all women. <laughs> Every single one of the the girls they bring in are are grown women. So, do you think they're not supposed to be? Because I got the impression it's like juvenile court or something. They're supposed to be. It's all possible. Teens. I don't know. But maybe you're right. Maybe they are just supposed to be 50-year-old women because they're very clearly 50-year-old women. Speaking <laughs> of ages, Tatum O'Neill is 22 and Irene Cara is 25 when they make this movie. And they're definitely supposed to be teenagers. Yes. Young. Young, young. I think that this has an absolutely thrilling premise. Premise. Initial premise. Premise, yes. And an incredible opening in the first 15 minutes. Yeah. I think is exceptionally good. It's uh, oh, completely over-the-top exploitation garbage, but it's, it's good at what it's doing. The moment that they have to, Tatum O'Neill has to deliver a single believable line of dialogue. Yeah. As soon as they get out of that fucking sewer. Mm -hmm. 
this movie goes into a sewer. Yeah, she's awful. She is awful in this movie. (laughs) Awful. Awful. (laughs) Unbelievably awful. Yeah. It's so bad. It it defies logic because it's 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 one of the worst performances I've ever seen. Oh, it's horrible. It's absolutely it's horrible. Unfortunately, the only line delivery of hers that I believe is when she drops the N word like four oh, times in this movie. That felt real. It did feel a little real. <laughs> and I honestly, it's so horrible. The th- her performance is real, real bad. Mm-hmm. Truly one of the worst ever. But this movie (laughs) goes from action schlock to just really like denigrating, Mm -hmm. sleazy, not even like fun sleaze, gross. No, you want to like cry in the shower after you watch this movie. (laughs) You don't want to cry in the shower because Sniffer will find you. That's how he that, got her. I, I, she was crying in the shower. That is that scene is terrifying. 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 Absolutely terrifying. One of the most terrifying assault scenes I've ever seen. It is they accomplished too what real. they were going for with that scene. And it yeah. It's too real. But it's too it's, it's too real. Yeah. This the sense that like <laughs> when they're dropping end bombs and stuff, the sense that mm-hmm. you get is that whoever wrote this is is a, is a racist. That's it's not yeah. like, Oh, well it's a screenwriter and he's writing bad characters. And so bad characters are saying mm-hmm. bad things. And that's dubious sometimes at best itself. Yeah. But you can go, okay, well those are villains and they're supposed to be bad yeah. and it, but it's a different era and mm-hmm. we're, we're, we're supposed to be, you know, but here's the problem. If the movie had gone on and Irene Kara had emerged as the protagonist, Mm-hmm. And she overcomes all of this and gets her revenge. It still would be sleazy, but it'd be a sleazy revenge movie. Instead, this movie wants us to believe that these two girls, including Tatum O'Neill's character, Scarlett, who is absolutely an evil, the worst character, piece of shit human ever. They're going to end up being best friends. No, is insane. Irene Cara is there for like petty larceny or whatever yeah. it was. Like driving without a seatbelt or stealing a car. They had like pot in the car. And and then the cop called her a word. And so she called him a racist fucking honky. Yes. (laughs) And so if the idea is, you know, the injustice of the criminal justice system against Mm -hmm. minorities, the people of color, even though she comes from an upper class family. Yes, her dad's a doctor. Right. And so here's an upper class character who's being discriminated against Mm -hmm. because of the color of her skin. And she ends up falling down into the dread with the dregs of society mm-hmm. and has to fight her way out and prove her innocence. Yeah. That's a movie. Yeah. That's not the plot of this movie. No. The plot of this movie is that you're going to watch her be called the N word repeatedly, uh, verbally attacked, forcefully injected with, with drugs, with drugs, some kind of drug assaulted, potentially raped all of this stuff over and over and over again. And at the end, the girl that keeps putting her in these situations, uh-huh. They just end up best friends. And then just the movie ends. The movie just ends. It just ends. There's, there's no resolution. No. No. And she's just 
shot there and it, and it's almost her dad comes over to like check her out cuz he's a doctor. Yeah. And it's it's just very weird. Like they're going to be a family together or something and it's just it doesn't work and because her character's so awful. But aren't they still on the run and haven't they been involuntarily yeah, and they connected to the death, death of, of a, a judge, cops, yeah. et cetera, et cetera? How does that get resolved? The magic of filmmaking. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's horrible. I, it's, it's, this goes into, I like. And I, well, I had oh. seen this movie before. Me too. Me and, too. Uh, and, but just recently. It yeah, was, me too. Yeah, because um, I did it with for like a, another podcast or something. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The character of Scarlet, which is Tatum O'Neill's character, for the ending to work, that character needs to have... Re- she had to have redeemed herself somehow, or die. It would have worked if she died. Yep. But... The only good thing that she did for, uh, is it Tracy? Yeah, for Tracy, Irene Karras' character, is she carried her out of the crack den that she took her to and was going <laughs> to leave there. After, yep. And I'm just like, after she left her at a, 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 the apartment of a guy who she knew was going to try and assault her, yeah. Just all the shit and just lies and lies. She she constantly lies. A guy who is probably making underage homemade yeah, porn. Yes. And selling it to yes. perverts. Yeah. yeah. There's a, a camera set up with a bed and stuffed animals. It's very gross. Yes. <laughs> yes. Very gross. Yeah. And of then Peter people, Fonda fucking well, shows up. And then fucking of Peter Fonda shows up. To show up in this movie as a guy who frequents teen street prostitutes? Yeah. <laughs> it's writ- Peter Fonda. Sl- Peter Fonda. Peter fucking Fonda. He just shows up as like a billionaire on a yacht, and he's somehow with dirty, filthy, smelling like shit, Scarlet, and he's involved in drugs and prostitution. And he has he has this weird affect of, of uh, he's not a germaphobe per se, but he has some kind of thing with with cleanliness because when she spits at him that freaks him the fuck out so he cuts her face and then her blood gets on him and that freaks him out and he's constantly cleaning his fingernails with his knife yeah i mean i think peter fawn is trying to do something with that character but it it just doesn't mean anything (laughs) for the greater story if you're a germaphobe no, are- no. <laughs> <laughs> you know where I'm going? I know exactly where you go. No, I wouldn't. No. Every once in a while, I like to look to see what the real critics had to say about the movies we cover here on the show. Oh, I'm excited for this. This is from March 4th, 1985. Richard Christensen, who was at that time the entertainment editor at the Chicago Tribune, he writes... Hall's handling of the opening volley of violence shows that he can hack out a movie with some craftsmanship. But Certain Fury is basically, fundamentally, absolutely garbage. Yeah, I mean, that opening scene is fucking awesome. Is. That shootout, it's it's yeah. awesome. So, I mean, there is some some stuff in this that I think... The the crack den looks amazing. 
Yeah. It's it's very creepy and dark, and there's just weird people all around doing all number of things with each other and to each other. And that's Shunting. yeah, they're, they're doing <laughs> and uh, Scarlet's fight with Sniffer in that in the crack den. He's like stabbing her with with used needles and stuff. It's just fucking wild. The stuff that they did in this movie was wild, but. It's so gross and dirty yep. and sleazy and nasty that it's it just negates all of that. It's a <laughs> it's a degenerate film. It is a very degenerate film. And not in a fun way. Because no. sometimes the people make degenerate films, but it's with like a little bit of a wink and a nod. Yeah, yeah. Or like again, it, it's this is building... this is super exploitative. Yes. Too. If Lindsay and Jason agree that the movie sucks, boy. Especially yeah. a movie like this. This is kind of in both of our wheelhouses, theoretically. And we're yeah. both like, this movie is fucking garbage. It's definitively garbage. It is garbage. And like I said, it has a few things going for it as far as like production design and, and some a few sequences. But, but everything else just takes it away. Yep. <laughs> All right. Moving on to a movie you, you maybe even never knew existed, despite the fact that Steven Spielberg is attached to it. 1985's Young Sherlock Holmes, which currently has a 64% on Rotten Tomatoes. There's a clever murder on the list. I'm going to find him. A case this challenging, this exciting. I need you, Watson. We're in this together. We're a team. Could never be solved alone. Steven Spielberg presents... Sonia Hallucination. Is Young Sherlock Holmes, directed by Barry Levinson. Rated PG-13. Starts Wednesday, December 4th at a theater near you. Check your newspaper for showtimes. Young Sherlock Holmes is directed by, again, what is going on here? Barry Levinson. Levinson. what the fuck? <laughs> Written by Chris Columbus. Yeah, it's the Goonies team. Based on characters by Sir Arthur Conan Doyle. It was released December 4th, 1985. I want you to note that, okay? Mm -hmm. It was released December 4th, 1985. And a budget of $18 million, it did make 63.7. So it was a hit. The failed Sherlock franchise prequel you never knew existed. <laughs> uh, Sherlock Holmes is young and tackles a case involving Egyptian cultists with his new school friend, Watson. Perfect. Yeah. Steven Spielberg presents this movie. It is an Amblin movie. It's directed by Barry Levinson. It's written by Chris, Chris Columbus. It, it is based on existing IP. It comes out during the holiday season. This film is the blueprint for what every IP prequel, remake, franchise film is going to be about 30 years later. Yep, exactly. This movie had every, all of the ingredients, including an after credit tease yes. of a sequel. Yes. That feels like it was made last, last week. Oh, yeah. You, uh, that that and we'll get to it eventually but everything about this movie is what movies are now yes it's like we find out like oh this is how he got his hat this is how he got his yeah. pipe this is yeah. why he says this thing and this is why there's this thing in the later stories and it's like but it doesn't mean fuck all right now <laughs> <laughs> all right let's dive into it so i i hear the frustration in your voice uh, Let's dive into it. 
Uh, Sophie Ward plays Elizabeth in here, who is his love interest. And she basically just exists to be fridged. Yep. To, so because that then explains why Sherlock Holmes never is, has problems with women as an adult. Yep. It also explains away gayness. Yeah. Because there's always that him and Watson lovers, but no. you know, it explains it all away. Yeah. Um <laughs> but I know Sophie Ward from what you know her from, which is Waxworks 2, Lost in Time. Oh my God, I haven't seen that movie in a long, <laughs> long time. Well, looks like Lindsay's coming back to watch Waxworks 2, <laughs> Lost in Time. <laughs> You keep doing I this to yourself. Wait. You think you would learn. <laughs> no, you I think learn, I would Lindsay. learn, but I keep Don't tell me shit because mouth. otherwise I'm going to rope you in again for another five hours to talk about <laughs> bullshit. The thing I remember the most from this movie, I swear to God I saw it many, many years ago, is the stained glass night. Which is amazing. Still amazing. And it was the, it was the first completely digital character on film in any film let's okay let's <laughs> take in what we're saying yes this movie was released at christmas time when a lot of movies weren't released then mm -mm. but but they because of james cameron they learned oh you can make a shit ton of money if you do that yeah <laughs> that was obviously the strategy here it's a family film kids movie with you know but 80s kids movie, so it's kind of dark as shit mm -hmm. and weird very weird um <laughs> steven spielberg barry levinson Chris Columbus, based on Sherlock Holmes, the most famous detective of all time. You know, so a ubiquitous name that everybody would know around the world. With CGI. Yes. <laughs> and special effects. And yet this movie has no legacy. No Nothing. legacy. This is the first fully rendered CGI character in film history. By a fledgling Pixar. Yes. <laughs> And nobody talks about nobody this movie. Nobody talks about it. And the thing is, the thing is, I don't think I've ever seen this movie before I watched it for this. Really? Yeah. I don't, I don't, I, I vaguely remember the flying machine stuff, but I don't think as a kid I ever saw it, at least not all the way through, because I had no memory of anything. I don't have any nostalgic feelings for this movie. No, me either. At all. Yeah. Um, I could see if you did watch it a lot as a kid, how you would. You would have those feelings for it, like like we do for other movies, because, like how you said, this has so many pieces in it that should should make it. It should have been. It should have been remembered. It should have been remembered. <laughs> this movie is hey, the exact reason why I do the show in general, but mm -hmm. specifically this forgotten films of the eighties, because. Every, in every episode, we get to at least one movie where you're like, why the why fuck? Why doesn't anybody remember this? Does nobody remember? Like, and even people remember, like, yeah, I, I saw that. I, I mm -hmm. that was charming. Or, yeah, I was on HBO a bunch. But I haven't thought about that in years. And you're like, because mm -hmm. when it fired up, and I, I, I vaguely remember seeing it. But I don't, yeah. I don't, doesn't, didn't stick with me. I don't have nostalgia for it. No. I had no remembrance this was an Amblin film. No, not at all. And not just an Amblin film, Amblin in the heyday of Amblin. Heyday, yes. Right? And it's just like, and, and, and it's loaded with talent, except for the actors, because you never saw oh, these people God. again. Never saw them again. Never. <laughs> not a one of them. Except for uh, Sophie Ward, who went on to Waxworks 2, Austin <laughs> Time, which Lindsay Washburn will be joining me for in a future uh, something. Um, okay. 
here's how I feel about this movie. And here's how I feel about prequels in general. Mm-hmm. Prequels for me, for the most part, don't work. And here's why. Christy McNichol's character has a line in Little Darlings where she says, we started in the middle. We never even had a beginning. Mm-hmm. Because she's saying, hey, we can't, you know, now that we've fucked, we can't go back to having a normal relationship because yeah. we did this other weird part before we even knew each other. Mm-hmm. We, we, we already had sex, broke up, broke each other's hearts, cheated on each other. How do we go back to the beginning? Because we yeah. never had one in the first place. Mm-hmm. That's how I feel about prequels. Typically, you tell the best parts of whatever your story is in the movies you're making Mm -hmm. to then go back and go, well, now we're not going to do the middle, which is all the interesting shit. We're going to go back and tell you how we got to the interesting shit. It it, it doesn't work. It never works for me. No, it doesn't work for me either. Uh, And another reason for that is because you never believe you never buy into the peril. Because, you know, these characters are going to live. Because I know that because this is the story before the other story. I already know what happens later. Yes. So there's, the only, n- there's no peril. 100%. The only caveat to that is if there's one character that I think a prequel could potentially work, mm-hmm. especially at this time, it would have been Sherlock Holmes. Yeah. Because Sherlock Holmes was so ubiquitous. Even more so than he is now. He was so ubiquitous. There have been so many different adaptations, so many different incarnations. The the stereotype of a detective was a pipe-smoking elementary Dear Mm -hmm. Watson. You know, we're still getting Jiley Miller, whoever, doing elementary. You're getting uh, Cumberbatch and Sherlock. Like, it's this infinitely adaptable sort of thing. You can Mm -hmm. put him in the past. You can put him in the future. You can put him in the present. Because I think there was, was there even a cartoon was like Sherlock year 3000 or something? Something like like that, yeah. It was in the future. (laughs) Because all you have to have is a extraordinarily logical, uh, other than Robert Downey Jr., Mm -hmm. like weirdo action movies. You all you have to have is a super a guy who's a, a genius at deductive reasoning yeah. and a sidekick, and call him Sherlock Holmes. You can stick him anywhere. Yep. So it would be interesting to see what formed and made him who he is. Mm-hmm. I think it's the one ex, one time because also you know Sherlock's going to solve the crime, so it yes. never he's never the one in peril for the no. most part. It's always no. somebody else. Yeah. So, but still, somehow this doesn't work. Well, because. When we meet Sherlock, his he's already he's already Sherlock. He's just younger. He 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 he's, that's a good he, point. He, he he's like fully formed. S- he's fully he's already fully formed. That's a good point. He just needs some experience. It's like, well, how did he get to that school? You know, how did he grow up? Why did that's he take an interest in in detective work? You know, that's what you want to know. Not he's he's that's why the beginning of my synopsis was Sherlock Holmes is young. That's, that's, that's it. a really great point. You know? And yeah, because you're right. At the end, it's just like, well, where do you, how do you get the pipe? But everything, the character is already the character. The character's already the character. There's, yeah. there's, the, there's yeah. no developing of that in this movie. And that, that's, that's the biggest point. thing in this movie that killed this movie for me. Yeah, that's a really great point. Mm-hmm. Now, here's another weird thing. I don't know if you noticed <laughs> it. And another reason why this movie should be remembered. <laughs> Is this movie is Harry Potter before Harry Potter? Thank you. Yes. Oh my god. I was thinking that through the entire thing. I'm like, the this score? is Harry Potter. The, the score is yeah. sounds like John Williams, but it's not. No. But it sounds like the score from Harry Potter. 
It does. The school is Hogwarts. It's Hogwarts. And I mean, I mean, some of that similarity can be because it's just the, the British schooling system around Victorian times. But they've got the scarf. The way the tables are laid out in the it's chow Christmas. hall. It's Christmas. <laughs> it's two boys and a girl teaming up to sneak into the library after hours to figure out what the weird shit is going on around here. I mean, and, it's yeah, fucking and, Harry Potter. And, right, the teachers have this past history that's coming back, and, and that's kind of happening in the background. But the, but the kids are also involved in, like, day-to-day shenanigans. Yes. It's the same plot structure yeah, as Harry Potter. Yeah. It's the same, yeah. it's the same thing. It's the same thing. Oh, and, and Dudley the one kid is Draco even Malfoy. Looks, yes, he even turns him into Draco Malfoy yes. at one point. With a yes. T. With a T. Yes. I'm just like, what the hell is happening? And on top of that, even though this is set, for those who haven't seen the movie, there's this person, there's a mystery, mm-hmm. somebody in a hood is going around using a blow dart to shoot these guys around this school, with around LSD. this town. Basically with a yeah, hallucinogenic First guy has drug. He d- it, the same thing happens to him that happens to Jodie Foster in that CBS after school special. He just starts freaking out and jumps out a window. Yes. It's crazy. Yeah. But what it allows the movie to do, because this isn't a fantasy movie, it's set in the real world, is the hallucinations. <laughs> when we see it from their perspective, it allows there to be dragons and monsters. And the Grim Reaper and really weird space shit. raping pastries. <laughs> yes, but all that shit feels feels like Harry Potter. It does. But, but in that's, Harry Potter, it's magic. Yeah. It's magic, but in uh-huh. here, it's just hallucinations. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So it allows this movie to have magic without having magic, yes. but in a logical way. And the whole time you're watching, you're like, "Holy shit, man! <laughs> you cannot tell me." That J.K. Rowling didn't fucking watch this movie. I don't. Maybe that's why they've like. Maybe that's why no one talks about this movie and that it's forgotten. That they want people to forget this movie. But Chris Columbus took what he wrote here. Yes. And then directed the first couple Harry Potter yes, movies. Yes, I and know. This he made this. He made this movie again. And the original director, the original guy who was supposed to direct the Harry Potter movies, was Steven fucking Spielberg. <laughs> This is a Frank Marshall, Kathleen Kennedy, Steven mm-hmm. Spielberg produced film. Yeah. Written by, those are the, those, so many of those people went on to be involved in Harry Potter. Exactly. They, exactly. Did, it, they did it 20 years beforehand and we're mm-hmm. like, eh, it didn't quite work. Let's just run it. Nobody remembers. Yep, let's just let's do, the do it again. Shit the same thing. Again. And it worked because the book series was, was popular. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And they made a, and everyone's like, oh, Harry Potter is so magical. It's the most wonderful thing ever. And I get it, like they are charming. But yeah. you go back and you're like, well, this shit, is the this same is, thing. The they same did this already. Movie. No, it this was, is the same goddamn movie. I was thinking that through the whole thing. And I'm like, has no one else like noticed this yet? Oh, I mean, I'm I'm it's it's not even just like, yeah, it's oh, it's Victorian there. You're right. I mean, it's the it's it's everything. It's everything. It's the, the humor. The, the little shops that they go in. The, sh- I mean, yes. the, the production <laughs> design is 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 it's the same shit. They, it's the same 100%, exact thing. A hundred percent. It's crazy. <laughs> uh, they what they realized was we could we've already done this. We could just do it again with a much more popular character and produce the movie the exact same way. Yep. Only this time it doesn't have to be uh, hallucinations and in Indiana Jones. <laughs> uh, it'll just be magic, mm-hmm. and we can do it with, with CGI. 
And that's it. That's the only difference. Yeah. <laughs> that's yeah. It. That's and the it's, only fucking difference. It started making me predict the end of the movie. I'm like, 100%. well, I know who the bad guy is because I saw oh, Harry 100%. Potter. <laughs> yeah, 100%. Speaking of that, right? So it's like when the, when the the main guy who's basically like Sherlock before Sherlock, the yeah. old headmaster, mm-hmm. uh, who's like, at Etar, Etar, Etar. I was like, well, that's Wraith. And I know this is a kid's movie, but I'm like, obviously the villain is Wraith, right? Yeah. And and before that, it it was fairly obvious because the only teacher who's nice to him in the entire school Mm -hmm. is that the fencing guy. And so it's like, obviously. Then my, my, so what I thought was going to happen is, oh, well, he'll try to be Moriarty. Yeah, that's what I thought too. But then that doesn't happen. No. Until the after credit scene. Yes. Where at the very end of the movie, there is a straight up Marvel after Mar- Oh, here. so Marvel. Because it's it, it does that tracking shot to the people yes. arriving. And then we go up the stairs and into the hotel. And it's, it's, it's and, impressive. And Wraith is there at the hotel. And he's signing in. And the name he signs is Moriarty. Then it pans up to his face. He, he lifts the one evil eyebrow. Cuts to black. Cuts to black. I'm like, that's a fucking Marvel. Yes. <laughs> what the They're heck? setting him up for the sequel. Like, oh, you thought it was Moriarty, but then we convinced you it wasn't Moriarty. But the but twist is. It is it Moriarty. Is Moriarty. <laughs> and that's how he's, he gets his arch rival. And it's like, again, like, I'm, as I say it, I got goosebumps. because I'm like, this should fucking work. Right? Why does this movie Why not it- work? What is wrong with this movie? It's the lead. I think it's the lead. I don't know. I don't mm. know. I think it's the, I think it's the people that they put in it. They don't sell those characters well. Maybe the characters aren't well written. The the kid who plays Watson, I did enjoy his performance. Yeah, he's good. He's yes. good. He's funny. He's consistent. Yeah. His character has a bit of an arc. You know, he's trying to learn and he's new and figuring things out. And get courage. And, and get courage, courage and, yeah. and things like that. Um, so I, I enjoyed that character. But he was he seemed like the only like three-dimensional character in the entire yes. movie. Everyone else was just like a, a thing. <laughs> I think you nailed part of it, which I didn't fully think through, but I think you're uh-huh. 100% right, which is it's if it's going to be a pre... If it's, if it's a, a Holmes and Watson origin story, mm-hmm. and Watson develops as a character, but Holmes is basically a 15-year-old fully formed Holmes, yeah. except for he doesn't have the hat and the pipe. Yeah. That's not interesting. No, it's not. I want to see him become Mm -hmm. and learn and struggle and make assertions that aren't right. And, but he's like, he he does it. He's like, when they do the, it's not really Quidditch, but they do a Harry Potter style game for the trophy (laughs) and he figures it out. Like like he's, Mm -hmm. he's too good at everything. He's too good. And on top of that, um, this movie does something that really pisses me off. <laughs> we have old Watson narrating the story. Yeah. Okay, fine, fine. But the worst part of this movie is when we get to the point where they have to solve the main mystery. Yeah. Old man Watson, as the narrator, just ex- literally it just, it just explains, explains it all. It all, and we never see Holmes figure it out. No. The joy. We don't of know Sherlock why he figured yes. it out or how. They just yada, yada, yada. Like, he's just like, well, then he figured out the poison came from here. And that word, da, 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 da. you don't see it. He just tells you. Yeah. The joy of Sherlock Holmes is watching the deductive reasoning process mm-hmm. of pulling to get, like, every other adaptation of Sherlock Holmes ever yes. has figured out 
That's what makes that character cool. Is like, yes. well, there's a mark on the wall, and that was his. And that leads and me I to this. It. Yeah. Yeah. And it's like, how does he put together clues that nobody else would see? Mm-hmm. They don't do it. There's just, he just fucking says it. It's yeah. so stupid. It's, it's so, so stupid. stupid. It's such a waste. <laughs> yeah. The best joke in the movie feels like something out of an Edgar Wright, though, because <laughs> maybe the movie, I would say maybe the movie needs a little bit more humor because it's kind of dry. It's kind of A serious. little bit, yeah. But the best joke is almost towards the end where he's in the um, Lestrade's uh, office and he's mm-hmm. like, when he he does the quote. Oh, like, yeah, well, yeah, yeah. Police yeah. work is about imagination. Uh-huh. Da, 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 da. He's like, well, that's the stupidest thing I've ever heard. Where did you get that from? And then he goes, it's, it's, it's um, sewn in there. Cool, but- it's framed it's on your wall, <laughs> On your wall right behind you. <laughs> the way he's, the kid sold that is the best thing he did in the movie. It's that so is. dry mm-hmm. and it's so funny. And that's the, every, the every, it, it, seriously, it felt like something out of um, a Negger Wright film. Yeah. No, it was, I, that, I truly it was laughed. hilarious. Was like, that was that a good gag. That is fucking hilarious. Yeah. <laughs> um, ultimately, for me, the movie falls short because I think in a movie like this, we either want to be Holmes. We need to want to be Sherlock Holmes. Yes. Or we need to feel like Watson that we're on the adventure with him. Yes. Right. But there we has don't to be. Get, yeah. Yeah. There has to be somebody that we connect with that is an avatar for us on the adventure. Yeah. And instead, the adventure is just told to us, and then we feel removed from the action. Mm-hmm. Um, that and the fact that they just basically recreate Temple of Doom. With white guys pretending to be Egyptian. Kalima. Oh, I like want. I, I'm like rip a heart out, rip a heart out, please. Rip I, a heart I think out. they were going to. Because when they're in the head, that's yeah. straight out of Temple of Doom. That's straight out of Temple of Doom. Yeah, where you can see them through the eyes, they're looking mm-hmm. down the cult ritual. Yeah, and and they're gonna take the girl. They're sacrificing her and a mummified, mm-hmm. whatever, whatever. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, and that scene just seemed very incongruent with the rest of the film. Kind of did, le- yeah. It did, because some of the setting looked cheapish. I, I don't know. It just, it just didn't fit with the rest of the film. Just the way that the people were dressed and their shaved heads and stuff. And it's like, yeah. I still don't quite understand, like, what that group was or what they were doing. They they wanted revenge because this group of of rich asshole college kids came in and ruined their town and dug that's up a bunch thing. of shit, you know. <laughs> well, borrowed see, their daddy the borrowed their daddy's money to go fuck up some less fortunate people and kill people <laughs> and kill people. Yeah, yeah. so that's, that's the other thing. The other the other problem with this movie is. We're supposed to feel sympathy for the victims who are being killed by Moriarty, essentially, mm-hmm. in the Egyptian cult. But then when it's revealed why he wants revenge, he's the victim. Mm-hmm. Him and his his people are the victim. They're part of this Egyptian group. That they wanted to then, build a hotel. Yeah. That, that, that it ended up, they, they were raided with their treasures and their, their history. Mm-hmm. And then people died. And it's like. It's really horrible. It is horrible. Yeah, it's horrible. There's a bombing. It's like, I don't feel bad for these old rich fuckers dying. Nah. Let that dragon eat his balls off. I don't give a shit. (laughs) The demon pheasant. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. That's actually kind of creepy when that bird came alive. The funniest um, uh, bit of trivia I learned about this movie is that one of the animatronic guys on this movie is the guy who directed Blade. (laughs) Really? Yeah. Oh, good for him. Yeah. He's puppeting a demon pheasant. 
back in 1985, and then he directed Blade. God bless him. God bless him. Uh, I give this movie a 7 out of 10. It's middle of the pack for me. It's my number three. Yeah, I give this um, I give this a six and a half, and this is, what did I say? <laughs> <laughs> this is my number four. Oh, no. Uh, this, <laughs> <laughs> this, here's the problem with this movie. Ultimately, what it boils down to is young Sherlock Holmes should be a classic. Yeah. And instead, it's just another movie. It is, yeah. There's, there's and, and, yeah. <laughs> I don't know what else to say. It just it, this I, this thing has on paper. This should this should be a classic, timeless for generations to come. Yes. And it just doesn't work. It had everything going for it. Yep. And instead, the same people went on and did it again, and they they ended up getting it right later. So. Yes. <laughs> oh boy. Okay. Uh, I can't believe it. Let's move on to. 1986's Thrashing. Woo! Gnarly. Which also does not have a Rotten Tomato score, but has a 71% audience score. Oh, wow. Corey Webster is taking off for LA. He lives to thrash. to compete but the competition is a killer check it out it's hooking the dagger you're gonna be the most beautiful girl at the club the music of the bangles and emotion devo meatloaf the red hot chili peppers thrashing Thrashing was directed by David Winters. That's a, another familiar name. Mm-hmm. Uh, we'll get to him in a second. It was written by Paul Brown and Alan Sachs. How it took two people to write this movie, I'll never know. <laughs> it's a triumph return of Josh Berlin, I think, last seen in Endgame. Triumph return of Robert Rustler, last seen in Vamp. This film was released August 9th, 1986, on a budget of not available. It made not available. <laughs> California himbo gets caught in a West Coast story while pursuing skateboard stardom. Uh, mine is uh, Josh Brolin is young and is the best skateboarder in the valley and will beat the daggers in the big race and get the girl. Find out on the next episode of Thrashing. <laughs> <laughs> does kind of feel like a TV show. A little bit. <laughs> what are you thrashing? What do you got? What do you got? I was like, oh, stupid. Fuck off. (laughs) At the very least, at least she calls them out and she's like, wild ones. Mm -hmm. At the least, they wrote the whatever. But yeah. David Winters was in West Side Story as a dancer. Yes. Background player. He's he's a character in West Side Story, but not a major character. Mm -hmm. And then he proceeded to make West Side Story 10 more times on his own at a very low level. Dancing, it's on. Yeah. This is West Side Story with skateboards. He is yeah. the dancing. It's on. He's an elderly man who loves to watch teenagers go on date night montages to ice mm-hmm. cream parlors. <laughs> uh, it, it's got to be about <laughs> dance. It's got to be about skateboarding. I do think it's hilarious that he very obviously is a classically trained dancer. 
had mm-hmm. a problem with breakdancing because he writes an entire scene in this movie. It just they, trashes the fuck out of it. Trashes breakdancing. And very obviously, breakdancing was still pretty mainstream in 1986. Yes. It had barely just gotten started. Yeah. And then he's, he, has a, he has these, um, he goes, breaking is a memory. And the other guy goes, for wimps. <laughs> It's not, it's not enough that they're skateboarders. They got to be like the Jets, right? They're yes. skateboarders or the Daggers. The Daggers. And, and we know they're Daggers because their clubhouse, their flop house, their orgy house has literal switchblades and daggers Everywhere. glued to every piece of the wall. Um, and they have a van that's spray painted with like their name and all with that. With fucking daggers on it, man. We're the Daggers. <laughs> you mother. They don't ever say fucker, but they say mother. You mother. I'm going to mess you up, mother. <laughs> Um, what's really interesting, this, this took me back to a bygone era before the internet where, and you know, this is a Midwesterner social phenomenons, very slowly progressed either from the East coast or West coast across the country. Mm -hmm. And it reminded me that we didn't get California fashion until like 1989 and most of the, oh yeah, no, we, it was, it was like. Yeah, the 80s hung around for a little bit in the yeah. 90s here in the Midwest. Yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> we were living that we were living the uh 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 Southern California 1980s lifestyle in 1991. Yes. <laughs> we were dressing like this in in up ne- until about grunge basically. Yes, exactly. <laughs> this is another teen culture cashin movie, right? Like the Tony it Hawks is. of the world are starting to get popular. And so we got to cash in on skateboarding cuz that's what the kids are into. Um, yeah, and and this is a this is a story that's told over and over and over. They just change the sport or yep. the location, and and it's the same fucking movie. You know, there's the the star-crossed lovers. There's there's a big event that one of them needs to win or is challenged, and then and it's always against the rival who's either the brother or the the sexual rival or whatever. And then Sexual at the end, rivals. <laughs> <laughs> that's a very technical term. It you is a very technical term. <laughs> Sexual rival. <laughs> Sorry, that's my English degree. Yeah. Out. Wow. <laughs> but but and then at the end, there there's there's the reconciliation. It, it just is what it is, and and the, so they just they just stamped these out in the eighties. To whatever sport or thing was popular. Because you have BMX bike bikes, yep. you've got this, you've got skiing, all sorts of shit. Regattas. There's a lot of regattas. Yeah, a lot movies. of regattas. Yeah. <laughs> um, Rob Rustler, who I, is the sexual rival. <laughs> and I'm going to be honest, in this, in, in this movie, young Justin Bieber looking Brolin does yeah. not, to me, strike me as a viable rival to Rob Rustler. Yeah, that's just my taste. That's just my taste in men. If I'm fucking either one of these guys, I'm fucking Rob Russell. <laughs> Rob Russell is so much more handsome than he. Brolin. He is much in, more in handsome at that in in the movie. Yes, yeah. I, I think I think uh, Brolin's in a little better shape, maybe. But that's just because he has his shirt off more, so you can yeah. see it. Um, I like but, bad boys. What can I say? I, yeah, who doesn't? Who doesn't want a bad boy? <laughs> And he is a bad boy in this movie. Oh, he's a bad, bad boy. Very bad. He's a bad, bad <laughs> boy. And he wears guyliner better than just about anyone I've ever seen. Yeah, I don't think I've seen him without it. Oh, it looks so good with guyliner. Mm-hmm. However, his relationship with as Tommy with his sister is a bit 
Excalibur-esque. It is a little, yeah, it's possessive, it's controlling. It's a little Arthurian, if you know what it's I mean. Je- <laughs> it's jealous, it's, it's weird. Is he the brother and the sexual rival for his own sister? I mean, he definitely, there's definitely both of those vibes going on with him. Because, I mean, he says it is himself. He's like, I don't, I don't like any guys coming near you. Well, that means that you only, you want to be the only guy that comes near your sister. So it's just, it's very, it's very confusing. It's very confusing. How does that work out, Lindsay? (laughs) Have you ever covered that in English? No. Well, I mean, there's a lot of that kind of stuff. Like like we said in Arthurian in let Arthurian legend, yeah, like, tongue tied, but but yeah, the relationship is super creepy. At least Arthur didn't know it was his sister he was fucking. That is very true. That's yeah, very Rob Brusser knows, and he wants he wants to go anyway. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the to me the most interesting thing about this movie is you got Meatloaf who is un has an unreleased <laughs> so- uncredited. The theme song, which is thrashing. Uh-huh. You got Devo. You got the Champs. You got uh, Jimmy Deemers. You got the Bengals. You got a very, very young Red Hot Chili Peppers who appear in the movie. Uh, you got White Sister. You got uh, The Truth. You got Fear. You got the Screaming Sirens. You got the Circle Jerks. You got Rebel Faction in Emotion. Fine Young Cannibals. Yeah. A very early Fine Young Cannibals. And, uh, and more Devo. So... Uh, the soundtrack is pretty fucking loaded. No, it's a it's it's a great soundtrack. It's very California, very eighties, and it just works. It just works. Uh, I, <laughs> I for the, I mean, what what else are you gonna put in a movie like this? That's true. Well, here's where I'll agree with you. I think that movies like this grow in their worth over time because they end up becoming an artificial facsimile. But they end up becoming like a time capsule exactly. of a moment, in, a moment in time. Exactly. A time I, I never experienced. But <laughs> a time no, and a place we, no, I you never ex- experienced. No, you experienced it. You experienced it in 1992. True. True. I, <laughs> I, in, in small town Iowa, it looked yeah. very, very different. <laughs> the fashion, the, the most interesting yes. time I had watches was looking at the graphic design, the t-shirts, and the fashion, mm-hmm. and the sensibilities. Yes. And, all that sort of the the bygone era sort and of stuff, and just and just them them skating down Hollywood Boulevard. It was because they're yep. going through people and past stores and the cars, and it just it's just fun to see. It's just fun to see that. Yeah. Um, everything else I thought stunk about this movie, and <laughs> every time Webster, which is a horrible name for your main character, uh-huh. every time Webster and Christie part ways, this fucking guy David Winters. <laughs> Is the exact same thing in, from dancing. It's on where they, every time they part ways, they're clearly not talking to each other. No, she's on one side of the street. He's on the other. They wave to each other mm-hmm. and they ADR Tommy. Why so in dialogue? Yeah. As fast as they can into a split second. Mm-hmm. And he, that is, I, I don't understand. We don't need it. First of all, we no. don't even need the scene of them saying goodbye to each other. No. Gives a shit. But repeatedly, he does this. He does it like four times in this movie. And I'm like, and he, and he would do it 30 years later with dancing. And I think he died, didn't he? Didn't he just die? I think he recently passed, but I'm not 100% yeah. sure. Uh, rest in piss, David Winters. <laughs> Your movies are garbage. These movies are garbage. This, this guy sucks. Oh, well, 
the only other thing that he's most famous for other than dancing it's on and west side story is you know that he was responsible for um i believe this is right i think he co-founded aip american or api american pictures international i think he was a co-founder of that for david Pryor's films david oh okay he helped form the company that gave us deadly prey and all the other so he did do something (laughs) yeah those are his accomplishments though that his accomplishments are he was in west side story he milked it for the next 50 years Mm -hmm. He, he made knockoff versions of a movie that he just happened to be a background player in uh, he hated break dancing, mm-hmm. and he gave us David A. Pryor. Uh, that's a lot. <laughs> you know why I hate? I I I don't say hate. You know why I don't like this movie? Uh huh. Besides the acting, the direction, the screenplay, the writing. Besides everything about it, <laughs> is that when the movie ends, nothing has been resolved between Webster and. Rob Russell's character, Tommy. Other than they did the downhill skate, mm-hmm. Webster wins. The whole thing feels like a, a Christmas story dream sequence. Yeah, it's a super mega happy ending. Yeah, and the guy, <laughs> co- yes, it is. And the guy's like, by God, Webster, you just got to deal with yes. whatever, 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 hacksaw, so, skateboard. Something skates, yeah. Yeah, and... <laughs> And he's like, oh, and he gets the girl, and Rob Russell comes up after he just got publicly humiliated and goes, mm-hmm. you wow, you're one crazy mother. Yeah. yeah you're one crazy, crazy mother, mother, Webster. And then, then he turns to his sister and is like, you got a wild boyfriend. And then I'm like, that's the... <laughs> why, why, why would he... Why would his defeat mm-hmm. and public humiliation lead to him finally be accepting of this relationship? I, I, I don't know. It, it's because it's that's how it happens in the 80s, I guess. It's just him besting him made him respect him, I guess, is what they're trying to go for. But it but it doesn't work because of how awful the character was for the the first 90 percent of the film. And that's not how bullies work. Bullies and that's don't not respond. How bullies yeah. work. No. no, they're oh, going to well, be you... even more pissed. Correct. You know? Oh, well, you, you got a sponsorship deal. You took money. You took money mm-hmm. away from me. And you're, you're publicly you're humiliating. Doing and you're doing things to my sister. And you're fucking my sister who I want to fuck. <laughs> but now I respect you because you went slightly faster than me downhill. Yeah. Maybe I do hate this movie. <laughs> I don't know. It, I, I enjoyed it just because it's so 80s and very California and the dialogue is cringy and the acting is, is bad and... And it's just so cliche. I, I enjoyed it for how <laughs> stupidly simple it is, but but um, but as just a regular movie, no, it's dog shit. <laughs> <laughs> it's, um, it's yeah, it's just it's unoriginal, very unoriginal. My the problem only thing, with it, yeah, the ahead, only thing go, that go makes it, that makes that that makes it um special at all is the skating you have tony hawks in this movie as yeah. a skater you know and and it showcases a lot of that stuff it was it was becoming very popular at the time and so they had some of the biggest names that they could get there to be doing the stunt stuff they should have taken some of that money and gotten better wigs for their stunt people um because they were really really bad but 
but this film has it, it has some fun going on, but on a technical level, it's <laughs> wash. Tony Hawk is also in one of the belated Police Academy sequels. <laughs> That's not a mark of anything. What? Oh yeah, I had no idea. <laughs> what? Tony Hawk that. is David Spade's stunt double in Police Academy Four. David Spade is in a Police Academy movie. <laughs> uh, you're not listening to the show, Lindsay. You're hurting my heart. I'm sorry. I put a four-hour Police Academy episode out. You didn't listen to it? Uh, I haven't had time. I've been watching movies to do this. <laughs> Lindsay, we're going to have to cover each Police Academy movie now again. Oh with you and God. I. I'm sorry. You just signed up for it. Um, I give this movie a four to 10. I knocked it down two points as we talked about it. I didn't like it at all. It's my number four. It, it, yeah. The only thing that makes it slightly more redeemable than certain fury is that the, the downhill skating sequences, they're really mm -hmm. going down steep hills and they're some of it shot by like helicopter. Yeah. And there's these long tracking shots and somebody was going to almost die when I made it. And I appreciate people almost dying for my entertainment. Yeah. I, I gave this a six and put it right in the middle. Um, I think that's correct. Yeah. <laughs> um, Cause yeah, it's, it's a fun movie to watch. It's really stupid and silly. It's cliche. It's unoriginal. You're not going to, you watch this movie because of, of the time period that it was made in essentially. Mm -hmm. That's, that's really the only reason. And because I mean, Josh Brolin is in it, but he doesn't do anything spectacular in this He's movie. Not good. He's not good. He, yeah, he's kind of, he's pretty vanilla. Um so uh, yeah, it's just it's just fun to to watch a movie like this and how stupid it is and how how the the language they use and and the culture that they're showcasing. It's it's just interesting. I will grant you that. It's time for a recap. Coming in dead last for me is Certain Fury, a sleazy film for degenerates. No enjoyment whatsoever, three out of 10. Uh, 1986's Thrashin' is my number four, and I give it a four out of 10. Uh, right in the middle of the pack, the movie that should have been number one should still be a Stone Cold classic. Everybody should be watching it going, oh my God, Harry Potter ripped this off. But instead, uh, it's on a show called Forgotten Films in the 1980s. It is Young Sherlock Holmes. Uh, number two is Blue Thunder. It is a mess of a movie, but it is a tour de force of practical filmmaking. Uh, 7.25 out of 10. And number one, a odd, surreal, overly ambitious, overly soft focus, overly ADR, borderline disaster Excalibur, which you give a 7.5 out of 10. My dead last is Certain Fury. Like I said, there, it has some interesting things going on, but it is just absolute nasty filth gross uh the the story that they put forth and the way that they do it and the characters they have it's just disgusting um <clears throat> young sherlock holmes had so much going for it so much going for it but failed to to do these two important things casting their characters and 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 showcasing how Sherlock became Sherlock and not just introducing him as a as a full as a full detective essentially 
Um, and I think that's what makes me hate it more is that it had so much going for it mm. and that they slipped up on those those few areas and it just it, yeah just I think it makes me not like that movie even more <laughs> I definitely understand that yep uh, right in the middle of the pack is thrashing it's it's just fun and stupid to watch um, two is Excalibur like I said I hadn't seen this since I was a kid and it has some really genuinely uh, incredible sequences in this movie the acting is not great the the ADR makes it even more awkward mm-hmm. um, and it but it, it has some great surrealistic imagery and it's got Helen Mirren. So that's number two. And number one is Blue Thunder because of the stunts, the action, the explosions, the uh, the, the stupid dialogue. Just, just <laughs> <laughs> the what they were able to pull off that you will never be able to pull off again mm-hmm. in that movie. So. Do you think having like a little stopwatch on your Casio? Is a good indicator of whether or not you're mentally ill. I don't know. They're not very popular anymore. Um. As long as I, as long as I test myself and as long as I don't feel insane during these twenty five seconds, I must be sane. Yeah, I think that's a good indicator. I think they uh, <laughs> that, that's the test yeah. they give you. Yeah, that's that's one of the mainline tests. If you're hanging on to sanity twenty five seconds at a time, you're fucked. All right, if you had to recommend one movie from the movies we watched this week, it doesn't have to be your number one because you might find something else curious that you think other people should experience. What would it be? I would say Young Sherlock. Me too! (laughs) All right, on our next episode, we'll be ranking the top grossing movies of 2002, 10 through 6, which includes Minority Report, my Big Fat Greek Wedding, Ice Age, Signs, <sighs> Die Another Day. <laughs> All right, Lindsay, when you're not busy being a pervert on binge movies <laughs> in sunny tropical Akron, Ohio, talking to a man who comes to you from a void of oblivion and movies from yesteryear, where are you? What are you doing? Where are you at? Uh, what are you up to? Uh, I'm usually either uh, watching movies or talking about movies on my YouTube channel, which is just my name, Lindsay Washburn. I also talk about my extensive VHS collection. Uh, You can find me on the Bad Movie Night podcast. Uh, We're live every Wednesday or Thursday, depending on who can make it that day. (laughs) Fair enough. But the episodes are posted the next morning. Um, And you'll also find me on the... The newest podcast that I started with my friend Jake, UFO Snap, where we get uh, high as fuck and talk about alien shit. It's fun. (laughs) Could you get Action Bronson on? Oh, that would be cool. Yeah. I need need (laughs) you to get Action action on. Um, Okay. Well, Lindsay will be back to talk about Waxworks 2, Lost in Time, at some point in the future. It may be a Patreon exclusive. I may force her to do it on her channel. I don't know. But you know, it's going to happen now. It'll happen now. Oh, God. (laughs) If you're going to do Waxworks 2, you kind of got to do Waxworks 1. Right. Uh, I think there's only two of them, right? Or is there a third one? Is there Waxworks I, I think there's a three. There's at least a three, I think. I'm not 100% on that, though. It, okay. It's been a while since I've visited the Waxwork cinematic universe. <laughs> <laughs> Waxwork. 
Oh, no, there's just two. There's just two. Well, you're getting off easy then. Come yeah, on. that's not bad. Nah, it's not too bad. All right. Well, Lindsay, I appreciate you as always. <laughs> Go support her. Everybody who listens to this probably already supports you. If you're not subscribed yeah. to her YouTube channel, go subscribe. Smash those like buttons. Hit those <laughs> bells for notifications. Uh, subscribe to all of her podcasts, including the weird conspiracy ones. Um, <laughs> if it gets real weird, they start talking about adrenochrome. Just know that I don't support that. And <laughs> I disavow Lindsay Washburn in every form and fashion. Oh, they start talking, they start, bel- they start talking about reptilian people in an unironic way. I disavow her publicly. No, we, we, we just discuss, we discuss yeah. things. We don't endorse things. So yeah. If you're talking about global elites and things like that, I do not, yeah. I, I disavow you, disavow you, I disavow you. Lindsay, we're now in a position where we all have to be at, it's like we're it's like a, a, a possible mission force yes. in the podcast space. Mm-hmm. At any second, you have to be prepared to disavow uh, somebody who you exactly. You with. need to be ready to drop someone like a ton of bricks. Like a, uh, yeah, as in soon a as, moment's notice. Just just for the yeah. As soon as a screenshot drops, you got to yep. be like, burn them. I never knew them. Just throw it away from you. Yeah, <laughs> as quick as possible. Delete the up. Delete the episode. Never release it. Never heard of this person, Lindsay. Exactly. Who? <laughs> Did I say she was my best friend on the internet? I've never heard of her. I hate her. No. <laughs> Fuck that bitch. What are you talking about? Yeah, never heard of her. <laughs> I never knew her. I never saw her. Never cared mm. for her. Yeah. I will deny you three times before the cock crows, Lindsay. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Until next time. Binge on. <laughs>